0: Hello oh, and welcome back to the real professional podcast. The podcast where air quotes real professionals interview non air quotes real professionals. Uh, we are still taking suggestions for name changes because uh, that name was selected before we were real professionals, and now we're all real professionals here. So if you got a got a suggestion, I'm thinking uh, all positivity hour, the the all the, the all smiles hour, something like that. Uh, that would be great. Uh, but anyways, you know this is the Dread X collection. Collection the collection of episodes where we talk about the Dread X collection. It's been like nonstop Dread X collection, collection episodes uh, for our longtime listeners. Hi, Mom. Uh, You know, it's been, uh, we started off doing mostly outside devs, but, you know, we've been coming out with these these games so frequently that it's been mostly in-house for the last few months. So hopefully this November, December, we'll get back to our regular format of interviewing some outside devs. I'd love to start chatting with some more people uh, outside of our inner circle, when, uh, you know, now with the insight that we have from making these games. So if you, you know, you want to come on and chat about game design, let me know. Uh, we're always down to have more guests on. But, you know, you're here today, listener, to listen about the devs from the Dread X Collection 3, which is coming out in October, uh, mid-October. We haven't announced the specific date yet because there's a couple things still coming together and we like to keep it tight around here. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, uh, I'm really excited uh, because today we got Nate Barron's on today. Uh, sorry, Barnes or Fuck. Barons. Barons. That's fine. it's like yeah, because it's like B E R E N S, so it could be like Burns or Barons or yeah, Barons. no, I know. Okay, it's, cool. No, it's,
1: it's, it's Barons. Yep.
0: Well, anyways, like you know, now that we've we've ripped the band-aid off of hearing other people's voices, I will just go ahead and say, DJ, go ahead and drop that sick B.
1: Uh, I'm good. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm so, sorry for screwing up your, your name earlier, but as I, I've said before, you know, I talk to pretty much everyone uh, that we work with, you know, at least a few times on the phone, but uh, a lot of our communication happens over uh, text channels, and it's not mm-hmm. always easy to tell how to pronounce someone's uh, names over that.
1: Hey, don't ask me to pronounce yours. So <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, a lot of people call me teed because they, they can't tell. Is it teed or ta-ta-teed? Ta- ta- yeah, so there's a lot of different ways you can do it. Uh, no! It's my last name that's tricky, which is Henschke, which is six fucking consonants. Okay, I would have gotten it right. Really, you would have gotten Henschke right? Yeah. Every once in a while, someone gets it right, and I always got to I always got to give them a a, a props. Although it's pretty
1: it's- similar to one of my uh, one of my good friends' names. So really, yeah.
0: Well, it's funny because I'm not, like
1: I'm not going to dox him on here, but
0: <laughs> well, it's funny because um uh. It's supposed to be pronounced, I think, Honchka in, like, the original German, but, like, all good American traditions, we just pronounce it wrong, and now it's that forever. Uh, See, New Orleans or Louisiana uh, or something like that or uh, Baton Rouge or something like that.
1: Uh, Barron's a German, and it is actually how it's pronounced. I mean, more or less. I think you would just say it in a German accent, but it's pretty much the same. Yeah, yeah. We dropped an H. It's supposed to be B-E-H-R-E-N-S. Right. Mm-hmm. I actually I little probably little...
0: would have gotten it more right If there was the H in there You probably got yeah. it wrong, got ru- rid of it erroneously You should call your great-grandfather And bitch him out yeah.
2: So, uh, before the podcast <laughs> What were we talking about before the podcast? So Edward, the name, yeah,
1: the, the, the genealogy Last name podcast, yeah.
2: yeah I have a question So he mentioned that he does video production on his day job mm-hmm. And that he works at community college So I was wondering if you're doing a lot more video production Because of the coronavirus the pandemic.
1: So yeah, no, I work at a community college at my, at my day job, um, basically do video production for like their online classes.
0: Oh uh, yeah.
1: Which you might, yes, you might imagine <laughs> this year, uh, we are kind of the most important people on campus and I'm not just saying that to, you know, uh, myself up. Um, yeah. So, um, like every other school, You know, basically every school was just like hoping and praying that the pandemic was going to go away by the fall semester. And so it didn't. Um, So, yeah, we mostly switched to remote uh, or or, or hybrid kind of classes. So, yeah, there's been a lot to do.
2: The reason I'm asking is like for two reasons. One is uh, JetXP got started because of the pandemic. So we wouldn't Mm -hmm. have our company without it. And two, because I used to do video production and video editing before I was a game dev. So I have that in common with you.
0: Oh, cool. I frequently hire other people to do it for me because I don't want to learn because that shit sounds hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of it is is just kind of like recording lectures and stuff like we don't we, we occasionally get chances to like stretch a little bit creatively. But, you know, for the most part, um, I, I've
0: mentioned this on the podcast before. My goal in life is to be able to get as rich and famous as possible with no applicable skills. <laughs> see, see the previous Jimmy John story in episode star. When did I talk about Jimmy John's? I don't remember.
2: Like, uh, you talked about it on somebody else's podcast. You didn't talk about it on this one. Right. So, so. crossover
0: episode on uh, what, what episode?
2: Chris what, <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <A> to <laughs> so Jump? I don't remember. I, yeah, I don't remember. Podcasts that they all like, kind of blend into each other.
0: Yeah. I think it was How Do I Jump was the name of the podcast, right? Yeah. There we go. Yeah. And How Do I Jump? Give Excellent a, give, episode.
2: Give a brief uh, recap of that. Brief.
0: Oh, I, uh, I, I got a job at Jimmy John's uh, when I was still... Uh, so, really funny. I was a delivery driver, which is a very funny job for a crippling alcoholic to have. Because, uh, you know, uh, you probably should not be driving a lot when you're drunk all the time. But I was one of those that I was like, I'm a little bit better if I've only had like two beers. Anyways, uh, so I was driving for Jimmy John's and my goal was to never learn how to make a sandwich the whole time working there. I worked there for, like I think, like a year, nine months to a year. I can't remember... Um, because, you know, like I just mentioned, I was a crippling alcoholic, so there's, like, plenty of things that I don't remember, and it doesn't really matter. Um, but, uh, I just never learned how to make a sandwich the whole time, and they kept trying to, to, like, teach me, and I was like, no, I gotta, like, drive this sandwich to a a place, and they were like, oh, we're short-staffed, and I was like, sorry. Uh, Oh, I pretended to also not be able to hear, and I just did that for, like, you know, for easy money for a long time. Although, like, they never questioned how, like, I, I had, was, like, hearing impaired but could still, like, dance to music and, like, drive just fine. I think that they're just so used to people lying to them at Jimmy John's that, like, they just don't give a shit. If you're, like, oh, no. you're the
1: finest. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. My, I don't um... know.
1: That's kind of like, I, I got through high school without learning how to play euchre, which is kind of impossible if you grow up in Michigan. um But I just somehow just kept refusing to to, like, join the Euchre groups, and oh, somehow I got through four years that I learned to play. Is that
2: a card it's a game? Euchre.
1: It's a card game. It's a card game that's, like, specifically extremely popular in Michigan, and I don't okay. know why.
2: I'm from um, Ohio, and I remember... Yeah, that-
1: right. It didn't cross the border.
2: Yeah, I as a kid, uh, but, you know, after I became an adult, that it was never brought up again. Oh, I still
1: have people who are like, oh, you know, if we all, like, get together for something... Well, you know, pre-pandemic, i got get together.
2: Every time I meet some in Michigan from now on, I'm going to ask them.
1: And nine times out of ten, they'll be like, oh, shit, yeah, I got my deck right here. No. Um, but I just somehow, I don't know, didn't ever really feel like playing and got through it without learning.
0: I, I was a Magic the Gathering
2: child growing mm-hmm. up. Mm, too expensive I, for me.
1: Yeah, I, I, I never got into the collectible card games because um, money and also, like, my memory is just not great. And so I would never I would be like, oh, wait, what is this card? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't <laughs> know what's in this deck. I can't, I can't keep... What did I play already? I don't
0: know. <laughs> no, I, I'm really bad at that, but I'm really good at putting people on tilt because I'm, like, massively, like, energetic and, like, very, 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 like... Uh, like, in, in person, I'm... I, I, like, I I can... I can switch my personalities very quickly, like, in in, in a card game. I'm also incredibly confident. Like, uh, mm-hmm. like psychopathically confident, to, like to the point where, like, I do not deserve to be this confident. Like, there's nothing about me that should be this confident. But I just am. So when I'm playing card games, I'm like, oh... You really got to play that spell? And they'd be like, they'd second guess themselves. I was just really good at the mind games, which is really integral when you're doing draft. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm also pretty good mm-hmm. at figuring out, and this is actually something I'm good at. I'm pretty good at figuring out um, who's going what in the draft pool so that I can like kind of counterpick pretty well. Um, and that's how I got good at magic. And and that's a pretty cheap way to play it because it's like 15 bucks to enter a draft. And if you win, you get 18 bucks. And if you get like second or third, you get twelve bucks, so you're only down three bucks. Right, right. Even if you even if you kind of lose, and then you can sell your cards and keep going. And I was never really interested in like keeping my cards, so I just keep selling them. Um, and my, my, my probably the most valuable pull I ever had was I was doing a chaos draft and I got a foil Palancron, which none of you two know what that is, but all the nerds listening at home are like, oh shit, that's like five hundred dollars. It's pretty great.
1: Yeah, no, the extent of it was like, I got into Pokemon cards for a little bit when I was. 10 i don't know (laughs) and uh got i got a foil nine tails and that was really exciting to me and then i met a kid at the mall who had a foil nine tails that was japanese and we traded and it turns out i lost because that was more rare i think but i thought it was cool because it was japanese and had better art so
0: yeah i mean at the end of the day that's what you're doing it for right you're doing it to have fun especially as a kid so like if you got one that you thought was cooler like you know
1: oh yeah my entire collection is probably worth like three (laughs) dollars
0: Yeah, I have have a Shadowless Charizard that's worth, like, 500 bucks in the other room. But I just don't, like, I I have enough money, and I don't really, like, I don't know. I don't really care to, like, do the whole rigmarole of grading it and selling it. So it's just kind of, it's like sitting in a box in the other room. Like, I probably should at least, like, put it in a case or something.
1: I've never been much of a collector. I always just, if I have something or I keep it around, it's because I plan to probably use it again. You know, rather than, like, I keep it for value, you know, uh... I do have all my old game magazines, though. For some reason, I kept those for just, like, sentimental value.
0: Yeah. No, They're I... in
1: terrible condition. Like, they, you know, covers I... are falling off and everything.
0: I've thought about doing something, when you're talking about sentimental value, for, uh, like, old PCs and stuff. Because, like, you get emotionally attached to your old computers, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I've thought about, like, doing a charity where we take your old computers or old consoles and we give them to kids in need. Um, you know, like, and then call it something... I don't know like uh like play on something like that. But it's basically mm-hmm. like instead of being all those other charities that like bring it into hospitals and stuff, um which is great, like I I, I think it's great that they do that. It's like specifically you know that your computer or whatever is going to still be giving kids joy in the future. And I just like thought that was fun.
1: I've got like an old Sony Vio in the basement if you you know know some kids who want to play quick too.
0: What's a what's a, what's a Vio? A I was, was just
1: there, a it was their like house brand. It was just like the sony version of like a dell or something
0: how
2: old are, just you? are you i am 33 oh that's why
1: like two
2: years older than me Yay! i so... I, know. Yeah. I just turned 34 never mind nice i'm not well anymore.
1: close
0: <laughs> i am oh. turning thirty one, you know hey
1: so. that's we're all more in the ballpark than like you know i hang out in like the haunted ps1 discord and people are like yeah i'm 19 um i you know, and like they found out about the like PlayStation One through watching like YouTube videos. Fuck and like, I, die. I die. little like crumble into dust and blow yeah,
0: away. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Bryce is like nineteen.
1: Yeah, no, that's I mean, honestly, I'm talking about Bryce. <laughs> yeah,
0: and he like has his own place with his girlfriend. I'm like, how the fuck?
2: <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I'm shocked. And also, like they already know game dev stuff. I'm like, I wasn't doing shit at nineteen.
1: Oh yeah. no, Park. no, I. <laughs> You know, like I said, I, we said it a little bit earlier, like you asked how long I've been doing this. I've been taking this more or less seriously for like three or four years. So I didn't even start until I was like in my basically 30.
0: Yeah, same. I was a journalist before this,
2: but I was also just mostly drunk.
1: I mean, I wanted to for a long time.
2: I, like, I
1: was I like, oh
2: going to say I was a bottom feeder. No, I wasn't bottom feeder, but I scraped across the bottom of the game industry for like, seven years and then finally people are like oh you're a person that exists and I'm like yeah I'm here I've been here basically Mm -hmm. I worked really hard and got nowhere I was just like running in circles trying to figure out how to do my career and everything and then finally Mm -hmm. someone's like was like okay now you're allowed to have a real job in this industry and I'm like cool I mean and then I got a real job and I was like this is exactly like the previous thing only I'm getting paid more like
1: (laughs) Um,
2: yeah, I, I
0: think that a lot of it is, like, you have to grind, but you also have to take your shots. Like, you have to have, like, a clear career path, and you have to, like, take your shots when they come. Like, for DranX yeah. uh, and the stuff that we're doing, it was, like, you know, I, I basically uh, had this shot to make a website, and I took it, and then from there I had the shot to make these games, and I took it. Like, there were plenty of times where I could have been, like, this is way out of my league and just, like, backed off. But I think that, like, I, I think that the unspoken rule of, like, the industry is that, like, actually no one knows what they're doing we're just all figuring it out and like learning along the way and like there's some people that know because of experience but no one was like blessed with the knowledge thanks to like expert schooling and like having been tutored by aristotle himself in the perfect form of game design like we're all still just figuring it out along the way and like you know star's expertise comes from a long time of figuring it out
1: Mm -hmm. yeah no i I think that's like that's the secret that kind of like like that was where I made my turn into like being able to, Oh, I can do this. I can take this seriously. Was I, you know, whereas you have the, you know, you said the unrealistic confidence, I have a uh, crippling uh, lack of self-confidence. Uh, and for most of my like teens and twenties, I was like, Oh, I'm not smart enough. I knew like people who could code and, you know, I was like, I'm, I can't do that shit. I'm, you know, I tried and it was hard. Um, and I just kept bouncing off of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then like, I don't know. I just, you know what actually i kind of do want to make games and i just kept bashing my head against it until suddenly it started to make sense uh but that took a long time yeah yeah. i don't know yeah it's it's a weird mix of like i I, once i started taking it seriously and like once i got Sagebrush out there Mm -hmm. like things started to like happen for me pretty quickly um like a big part of it was like finding the honda ps1 and like finding you guys and everything but um I went from being total imposter to being like, oh, I'm a legit part of the scene uh, fairly quickly. I feel, uh, but yeah. before that there was a whole lot of just, you know, me trying to like follow some tutorial online going, coding is too hard. I can't do it. Never mind, I'm too dumb. I'm just going to write books, which didn't go well.
2: <laughs> uh, I, feel, I mean, that's how like, I talked to, mil- I have friends that are literally millionaires that in the industry. And like, I was like, what is it like for you? And they were like, uh, that yeah, they were a nobody, and then one day people finally recognized them and they went, <laughs> yeah, and, and they don't understand that transition, but they're but they weren't any different, right? People saw them as different, and that, that's what's happening to Dread XP right now. Where in the beginning of the year, we were literally nothing, uh, we started in April, so we literally we didn't, didn't exist, yeah, it mm-hmm. didn't exist, and then now all of a sudden, all these big streamers are in our, hitting up our DMs and all these developers want to work with us. And we're like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, it's pretty
1: great. I forget what the first thing that, well, this was Dread Central, that but they covered of ours, and maybe it was the demo disc, the haunted PS1 demo disc, and I was like, wait, who are these people?
0: That's me, I did that.
1: Yeah, and then, uh, and now, hey, here we are. Yep, yeah,
0: here we are. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that um, a lot of times, like it takes a lot of self-awareness to be like, okay, these are the steps I took to get here. And, um, it, but it's difficult to view that from inside or outside. It's really difficult to break down the steps to victory because we like to view people as like, uh, singular entities. Like, Oh, mm-hmm. I understand the entirety of what this person is. And then it usually takes like a, a large shift to, to like, I actually had a friend a while back that was like, yeah, I had this huge crush on day nine. And then I met him at a party and he was just like a normal guy. And I stopped because I realized that he like poops too. And I was like, that's a really shitty thing to feel, you know, like to like just realize. I people like
1: because he seemed like a normal guy.
0: Yeah, I don't know. She's like, uh, I don't, I don't know what her. That's what her fair. Name no, no, there's,
1: there's mystique, I guess.
0: But that's, that's what I'm saying is that, like, you know, the, 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 mystique of a person kind of wears off after, after mm-hmm. like exposure or knowing them more. Like, that's actually, I would, I would actually say, um, I tend to like make these jokes that I have like no skills, um, but uh, like I, I would say that probably one of my big values is that i don't i don't have any like uh mysticism about celebrity because before this i was like a media journalist like i interviewed mm-hmm. like pretty big names you know like james wan who did the uh, the saw franchise mm-hmm. and ro- owns atomic robot now and like you know I, i've interviewed like you know big deal people and and i was nervous for like the first three interviews and after that you kind of get over it and um you just start viewing the the celebrities as like people because they are you know basically just people just you know a little bit more famous and with higher expectations because people treat them differently. Right. But um, you, you know, so now like that I'm doing this for games. Like in order to get all the developers, I just like DM them. You know, <laughs> like for you, I was just like, hey, you right. want to be in a thing? And you're like, okay, <laughs> yeah, all right.
1: No, I know that's kind of like I noticed. You know, in Michigan, we have a pretty like robust scene of like meetups. Well, again, pre-pandemic, um, like for the for the indie scene, like IGDA meetups and that kind of thing, and like. It was weird how it kind of shifted from before and after I put a game out on Steam. That, like, and it's not like it didn't hit break the charts or anything. Sage Fresh sold okay, um, for like a zero budget game made by one person, right? Um, but like, even the way people started to treat me, it was like, Wow, you put a game on Steam? I'm like, Well, yes, I. It wasn't magical. It's not like Valve reached out to me and was like, buddy, we need you. We need you on our platform. I like I paid the hundred bucks. And but then even then I see people who are, I think, more talented than I am by far going like, oh, I don't know if I could charge two dollars for my game.
2: Yes.
1: And I'm like, buddy, just throw it out there. Like, you know, at the very least, people will wish list it and then buy it when it is two bucks.
0: Yeah. The worst thing that can happen is that, you know, like people don't buy it. But at the same time, like some of them will, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, um, you know, it, it, it stood out to me that you guys, you know, thought of the collection as a commercial project, you know, obviously because DreadX is a, you know, it's a company. It's not just a thing you guys are doing, but like, I, I think we need a look, we need to see more of that, you know?
2: Well, I, yeah. So that's been my goal. Like I could have, I, I had EA and Riot and all these like big blizzard, like they all try to recruit me at some point in my career and I was, I talked to some of them and I was just like, man, I just don't think I fit in with this culture, like how they run business. But like everybody was telling me that I needed to do AAA and it mm. was really depressing to me because I'm like, but like what I really want to do is help indie developers because I've been seeing them struggle over and over again because a lot of them don't know how to do marketing and the games are great. They just don't know how to take that business. And uh, um, I'm friends with the people who make wholesome, uh, wholesome games, which is mm-hmm. a community and then obviously, haunted PS One. I didn't even know haunted PS One existed until like a month after I'd been working at Dread XP, and I'm like, "Oh, what is this?" Like,
1: <laughs> I mean, we, yeah, we haven't been around that long. I feel like I can yeah. say we instead of them, and because I'm a moderator, something. Like,
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm part.
1: Are- of, I'm kind of a big deal.
2: We did. Uh, I think you did uh, this another in- conference. I think you're the one who invited me because we were in another conference. I don't know if you remember that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gdx.me.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. So that's how I actually met you and you invited me. So that's how I know about it. So thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That's right. That's right. Yes.
2: Yeah, and um, and uh, like I was t- we were talking with a Brogon yesterday about that, mm-hmm. how there's like benefits and like disadvantages to both having one, a community versus a business, a right. business, business, you're actually like financially helping people. And so, but the problem is, is like, you have to make something commercial because you need to have returns. Like we have investor. So we need to make sure that they get their money back. So we need to make sure that we have a product that's actually going to sell. And also we have to actually know how to sell things. Like just because you want to make money doesn't mean you're going to, you have to have a, a good strategy for community though. You can make whatever you want. Like there's a freedom,
1: yeah. Uh, no. And I think it's great that they both, they both exist. Yeah. Like the Honda one is wonderful as being this like big open, like big open tent, you know, just like, Hey, come on in. We have people who come and go, how do I make video game? I don't know how, you know, and we're like, cool. Hey, we're not like get out of here poser because I mean, we're what the rest of the industry kind of uses the, you know, the asset flippers and everything. Cause we're all just playing around in unity, making our little freebie games and that kind of stuff. So um, even though there's so much like technical talent and like creativity in that, uh, like in the discord, but, um, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I love that. It, like the community there, that one, I don't want to be corrupted with money, but this one corrupt away.
0: Well, I don't think that, so the thing is like, I don't really think that corrupt is the right word. And I know you were no, being, no, no. I, I know you yeah. were joking. Like, I'm not trying to call you out. Uh,
2: or anything. Well, Yeah. I hate that actually what you just said, but I'll <laughs> head talk first and then I'll give my, my yeah, hate. I,
1: I was a hundred percent joking. Yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> I, I, I think that, uh, like when, when it comes to, uh, like, so the industry, yeah, there's a lot that you just said that I want to break down. So first off, when you're talking about like asset flippers, I think it's interesting because like the 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 we have this infrastructure of like assets mm-hmm. that we that are like readily available and that you can do good things with. Yet people will chastise you for using when it's just a cheaper alternative to creating your own assets you know like there's Mm -hmm. there's this like stigma on steam of being like oh this is just another asset flip and i will say that there are are games that fall under that category but not every game that uses like you know sold unreal assets is an asset flip um but there's a lot of people that have that stigma because like i think that the industry uh like triple a has so colored people's perception of like what even a double a game needs to be it's like it's like the it's like a hyper accelerated late stage capitalism is like the, the cost of creation has gotten so high that it's like the the, the 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 bar between AAA and AA and indie is ever growing. Like basically- oh, yeah. Well, there's
1: like the, the talk about like Fall Guys, you know, being a huge success. People are like, see, we just need more like simple indie games. It doesn't all need to be this huge games as a service, Destiny, you know? And it's like, you know, that company has like 60 people <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's yeah, not a it, small game by it, any stretch of the imagination. And
1: but... like a, what, it's like a, I think there's like 60 people in a match. Like a 60-person, you know, synchronous multiplayer game is not simple. Like...
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, we've talked about that before in our podcast, like Fall Guys and like the idea of simple game dev. But I, I kind of want to get back to, well, first of all, talking about acid flips, like people can take assets and then like heavily do a lot with those assets. Like I've seen J.M. Mm-hmm. specifically with, Here's one set of assets. Everybody in the game jam has to make, you know, use the same assets and all the games are wildly different. Just like with Dread XP, we have a theme, uh, Lovecraftian, PT, and now like spooky cute or spooky. And mm-hmm. like all of the games are very different from each other. I guarantee if uh like Blood, if she, Blood Machine, <laughs> like, if people took assets from her game, it would look very different because she heavily uses filters and she has, like, a heavy atmosphere. But I'm sure people could take, like, her main character and do, like, different things with hundred percent, yeah. Um, okay, so what I was talking about earlier. So I hate it when uh, developers even joke about hating money because it's so prolific. First of all, it comes from a toxic place of gamers being, like, we've got this a lot of, like, why would I pay for the DreadX collection? I can just get free games on itch and that yeah. is uh, it's basically telling me like i want free game like i want games but i don't want to pay the developer i don't want to yeah. help the developer and so we need to like stop saying that because yeah. like we want Dang. developers to get we want developers <laughs> to get paid i mean we want gamers to start appreciating it it's kind of like if you have no like not you uh, nate but if like somebody doesn't have any if somebody has low self esteem and then they, and they get into like a lot of bad relationships like and then they're just never going to have healthy relationships because they don't think much of themselves And so in order to get confidence, self-esteem, and eventually, like, they want to, like, maybe make their hobby their full-time job, they need to actually start to appreciate money. And I I think it's a cop-out from getting better at what they do to just – not all of them, obviously. Some people, like, definitely should just – like, they have a good day job and they just want to do games for fun. That's very different from people that are just saying, like, I hate money and I'm never going to get it because they're bitter. And so, like, I just want – like, and they're getting that from, like, gamers who just don't want to support them. And so it's just a very toxic mentality that, like, we definitely need to break. And I'm here to do that because... (laughs) we're about it.
1: Yeah, I think uh, somehow, like, it's spilled over from, like, you know, AAA companies who try to milk every last cent from people uh, to, you know, kind of applying the same kind of thought to, like, you want me to pay $7 for your two-hour indie game that you spent three months making? how dare you know or something like that have you spent six months or you spent you know it's like yeah. yes actually I do I spent a lot of time on that Um yeah I do see I, like I mean he, I'm the one you know there's an alternate universe where I put Sage Rush out on Steam or I didn't put I just put Sage Rush out on Itch which I also did put it on Itch because I love Itch but um where I only put it out there and I put it out for free because I was too you know mm-hmm. I didn't have the confidence but instead I you know I was like you know what I'm gonna I actually agonized over how much to price it for that reason, because even, even if you're willing to like accept money, uh, even if you're, you know, you want that side of things, the, just the, the economics of steam is so bizarre. Like, you know, the difference, the difference between pricing something for $6 versus $7 versus 10 versus 12, you know, it's like miles apart in the eyes of the consumer. Um, so, yeah, I agonized over how to price it for a long time, but I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. It'll sell 12 copies, whatever. It's fine. And then it's a little bit more than 12 copies. And I was happy that I charged money for it.
2: Yeah, it's kind of like, again, I equate to a lot of businesses like dating. So, if like, you put yourself out there like that, you know, you're not good enough to, you know, date somebody better than you, you know, or like quote unquote, you know, right? Because <laughs> that's the mm-hmm. reason. But um you're like, oh you know this person's too good looking for me or they're too rich for me so I'm gonna go with somebody who's you know I don't know doesn't make as much money or may or not you know, you know what I mean people do that all the time and they're just never gonna be satisfied because they they're always shooting too low and um, it's kind of like if you if you want to actually make it a business and start to grow uh, first of all it's like you can do hobby game dev but like what are you gonna do with your time you know like <laughs> like are you gonna spend yeah. like you don't want to spend time away from your family um, and your friends, like, and, like, sacrifice your social life for a hobby. Like, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of where I'm at. Like, mm-hmm. this was a hobby. It was absolutely just a hobby, just something I did, you know, a couple hours a week or something like that. And then it became a little bit more, and then it became a little bit more until it basically became a second job, you know. Uh, and then, then it became more or less a second not full-time job, but close to, and the amount of time I'm spending on it. And, and it was like, oh, hey, I don't have hobbies anymore. <laughs> and now it's like, all right, I got to figure out, you know, work-life balance. And and it turns out I, w- I would love to do this full-time. Great. Uh, and then have hobbies again.
2: Yeah, how you did it's really good. Instead of like too many people graduate from college and they're like, okay, I went to game dev school. Now it's time for me to get a full-time job. And I'm like, that doesn't happen. Didn't happen to me, didn't happen mm-hmm. to anybody. My friends, like yeah, I don't think
1: I know anybody who took like a straight shot. You
2: know, you know what? It is? You know what it is? Here's the thing,
0: Star. Uh, we've we've been talking about why it is that I work uh, 16 hours a day and have no other hobbies. This is like all I do. Um, and I think I, I figured it out just just listening right now when you're talking about like other hobbies. And I was like, wouldn't it be nice to have hobbies again? I'm like, what kind of hobbies do I do? And I'm like, oh yeah, I like drink until I black out. Like that's my hobby. And I'm like, oh shit, that's why I don't have any hobbies, <laughs> and I just do this all the time. Because my hobbies are self-destructive as fuck. Like, give me, a like, infinite money and a leash and, to hang myself with, and I'll fucking go wild. Like, it's just, it's, it's, uh, gosh. Well, that's, I'm, old Ted, right? Ted. that's old head, right? What? That's old head. Uh, yeah, I mean, but as uh, Dre said, y'all gonna make me go back to being the old me, but... No. <laughs> no don't you worry i don't, I don't follow bike. i don't follow all the advice of mr dry
2: you you do ride your bike quite a bit
0: i do ride my bike i do enjoy riding bikes that's the weird thing about going from like 10 years of of drinking all the time to like not and that's this is actually like very very serious it's like you you your worldview is like what am i gonna do like so the for the first like few months of not drinking i was just like I had no idea what to do. Like, I just, like, sat at a Starbucks and, like, stared at the ceiling. <laughs> and uh, But now it's like, oh, yeah, I'd like to see the country. And I it, it's three years after I stopped. And, and just now I'm getting to the point where I'm like, I could, like, go to Louisiana and just, like, do a ghost tour or, like, you know, check out some crocodiles. Because before I was like, well, why would I travel if I can't go into a bar and drink? And it's just weird to think about that there's other things to do, you know? That's yeah, I get of it. People... It's
1: kinda of like suddenly losing a job or something.
0: Well, it's what a lot of people do for fun, is like they're mm-hmm. like, Yeah, I went to you know, I, I went on a road trip and what did you do? Well, we hit this this famous bar in this place and we hit this famous bar in this place. Like some people, it's like pretty much all they do. And when, and when and when you're living a certain way where that's basically all you do for like ten years, like it's hard to break
2: that pattern, you
0: know, of anything.
2: Like it doesn't a lot of it has to do with your friends and who you hang out with, because I didn't drink until I was twenty nine. Mm-hmm. well oh.
0: you're, you're a nerd so excuse
2: yeah. me, oh. miss me with that
0: yeah. nerd shit okay i got cool friends over here that like to hang out and party
2: <laughs> nate did you hear that
1: yep i can i can i'm just gonna sit over here no like <laughs> i'm sure funny. i have a nerd well you know?
0: that's why you look so much younger than me like when i don't have all my <laughs> ma- when I when i don't have all my makeup on and i don't have my right camera angle i look like the goddamn crypt keeper like I smoked two packs a day for ten years. I look like shit when I'm not like dressed up nice. But I know I know how to like get the bags out of my, under my eyes and shit like that. And now I drink a lot of water and I work out a bunch. I always worked out a bunch, but it was uh, God, there's nothing there's nothing like working out hungover and you try to sweat it all out. It feels good.
1: Well, thank you for making me feel better about you know sitting there going, ah, oh, do I do I drink too much coffee? <laughs>
0: As long as you're not pouring a bottle of whiskey into it every time, you're doing fine. Not every time. I used to, I used to like, literally only drink coffee with whiskey. Like, I had to keep a flask on me in case, like, I went to get coffee, and I was like, ugh, just need some whiskey. Oh, in no. it. yeah. I was, I was like, I don't like the taste without the whiskey in it, without that nice little bite that's how you get going in the morning.
1: <laughs> I feel like... Everyone's always nice... like so
0: uncomfortable when I tell these stories. It's like, it was my addiction. Let me have some fun with it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no i get that okay yeah no i feel like like my my dad did a good job of just de-romanticizing drinking where it was just like for him it was just time for my beer after dinner or time yeah. for a glass of wine dinner and that was it and so it was just like this thing it was like it wasn't you know this illicit forbidden fruit when i was a kid or whatever so it's like yeah you know i remember being i remember being in college and like seeing my friends go get blackout drunk and i'm just like I'm more mature. I'm, I'm proud not of that. yeah. <laughs> um, I, don't I mean, think I, there's no, anything I'm,
0: more mature about it? Like, I don't really think that there's like a level of mature because like, I think that there's like a, a point. And this, this well, is I'm thinking that is
1: like 19 year old me. Let me let exactly. me let me
0: let me let me wrap this all back into game design here. But because I think there's like a point in your life where it's accept like. I think it's kind of necessary for us to stumble before we, it's necessary to stumble before you can fly or run or whatever. Um, But like, you gotta, you gotta crash before you can get on that horse again. I don't know. What I'm saying is, is that there's a, there's like, people are often way too hard on themselves because, and let me, let me say this, because I think this is actually something that's very, very useful for anyone that's listening. Um, When you are in a thing, it be a, a, a a long-term relationship that you don't feel like you can get out of, or... Uh, addiction or uh, a dead-end job your world becomes these four little corners of whatever the parameters of that is so you know for me with with with, with drinking it was like well why would i go there if there's no bar or like hey these are the times that i need to go to a place because that is when i can buy liquor or it's cheaper then because there's a happy hour or something like that like your whole life and like i would literally write articles and and and, and be like okay well that's like a three beer article like that's how i would judge things in my mind based on how much I would make and it's very 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 difficult to see past that um to see to the other side of like what your life can be and you know you know you're working at uh GameStop or McDonald's or something and you're like well I may- maybe I'll one day be assistant manager and you like have these dreams of doing something greater but like that they- you don't actually believe that those dreams are going to come true and it's really it's a really shitty way it's a really shitty state to be in mentally yeah.
1: and physically that's and a, stuff
2: that's definitely your experience because my life was nothing like that at all well i'm just saying that i see
1: but i but for some people no i get i mean Mm
0: -hmm. no that's what i'm saying is that when you when you're stuck like a lot of people fall into that mindset this is like the the black pill mindset when you're stuck and you're you're stuck in this mindset of this is my life forever and there's no way out of it and Mm -hmm. what i'm saying is that you only think that there's no way out of it because you can't see past the four corners of your little life box like I, I, you can just get up and like move to like another country if you want like but you right. don't think about that you're like well i couldn't because then i don't see my parents and my, my whole social network is here okay but you could and if you start with that baseline of thinking about the whole world as you're like being available to you and like things you can do and then like work backwards into what you want to do like it's way better than trying to like work from now into building up because it's very hard to build yourself up when you feel like you're trapped and worthless and that's what i'm saying is like If you're listening right now and you feel that you're trapped and worthless, like, you don't have to feel that way. Like, you can break out of it. And that's just what I'm saying is, like, everyone should have that hope. And maybe we won't have so many people that are, you know, so blackpilled.
2: I think that, like, I was also stuck, but not from addiction. Like, it wasn't external things. It was a workaholic. It was, like, I was working really hard in the game industry. And that's the only thing I wanted to do was build a career. But I was making no money. And uh, my marriage failed because of it because i was working all the time but i was like absolutely no results to show for it which is why i'm so adamant about (laughs) like that that's why i'm so adamant about like for jet xp i do certain things a certain way because i know uh like what's something that's busy work and i know something that's like a strategic plan that actually has results is for me failing so much from Mm -hmm. a workaholic and not having results i also knew like oh you can't have relationships like this if you're working All the time and also not making money so uh i was like and i was like you know but i am sober like i'm no i don't have any vices at all like i barely play video games like why am i failing so much right and it was that's when i learned about the secret of like having like making things that resonate with other people and making things that have context and like even though i was like a twitch partner and i've been like a content creator for a while like it, it took me so many years to figure out. Exactly what it is that actually made things successful, and like things that actually people cared about, versus just making something and hopefully somebody will like it. Like actually having a plan, like making things in the beginning that people actually will care about, instead of like making something and hope people will care about it. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. That mm-hmm. would struggle. Yeah, it's interesting because so
1: was- I, I I feel like when I sit there and try to think of uh, you know, like a new project or something, it, I rarely actually think about whether other people will like it. Like for me, it's it's like well, I want to make something I'll like, and then the people I know there are people out there who will be into it. I don't know how many, hopefully more than a few, but they'll be there. Uh, See that? A- <laughs> hmm?
2: That's a trap.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I'm just saying it's you know that's that's been my I don't know like so I think you know we talked you talked about like going into AAA for a long time, and I basically have never really had any interest in doing AAA, and part of it is because like i don't really want to do this unless I'm, unless I'm doing the stuff i want to do mm-hmm. you know i don't i don't want to be the guy making the trees you know for somebody else's game basically or something and i don't mean like that in a totally narcissistic way it's just like for me the the passion is not like sitting there dumping hours into you know coding or, or modeling or whatever like some people just love making guns or something like that and that's awesome um but for me, it's kind of this whole package thing, and I never really wanted to just do like, oh man, I completely lost my train of thought halfway through that. I never really wanted to do like, like I don't know, other people's. That's not how I want to say it. You
0: don't want to. You don't want to. You don't. You don't want to help realize someone else's idea. You want to realize your own idea.
1: Yeah, but that makes it. Uh, that sounds so narcissistic. It was more just like I, I, I. The passion for me comes from making the games I want to make. You know, not yeah. making the game that the CEO wants to make. I guess, yeah. basically. Um, I mean, and, 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 if, and if that aligns, if, you know, I would absolutely, I would happily join a larger team if I believed in the, you know, the in, in the project. But I mean, uh, you know, at a lot of these companies, you're kind of just shuffled around. You move to the team you're on. You're, well, you're put uh, where you're, you're put, and now you're making this.
0: And that goes back to the core of what we do here at uh, the DreadX Collection stuff. Is like, we're not saying, hey, you make this game that we're telling you to make. We're like, hey, make your game, and we will put them together, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like everyone kind of gets to have their own experience. They they, they have yeah. their own drive and passion because they're making their own game. Not necessarily they're making our right
1: game. right. Um,
2: yeah no. And, and when I say that, I
1: don't mean like oh I, I would actually love to collaborate more. I would love to work on you know with other people that's in the community on like a, right. a larger project and that kind of thing. No, I did not mean that as like oh I don't want to work on anything that's not. Doesn't have Nathaniel barons at, at the very top or something like that. Uh, well, um, well,
2: my problem is, is like, so many people are like, uh, "I want to make this game by myself. Just give me money." And I'm like, "I don't trust you. Like, I can't just give you money. Right. Like, you have, to you know, there's certain things you have to like understand before we can just give you uh, 60k." Uh, yeah, no,
1: absolutely. It's more like,
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: um, no, I, I mean, more like I have to believe in the project, I, you know, rather than it just being a product that I'm, you know, a cog in the machine of.
2: Yeah. That's why Jetix is so perfect. The collection is yeah. so perfect because you make your own game, and it helps other developers by making your own game.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, um, I, I just think that people are so used to seeing
0: games as like a monolithic product, like it's all, like, how do I put this? Um, it's it's like a. So we have like a ton of positive reviews on on Steam, like like ninety eight percent positive. Um, but you know, the most common thing is people said, like, I like these ones and I didn't like these ones. Um, which is, which is like what we're actually like, we're not expecting someone to like all 12 games of right. like the collection. And it's very heartening to see that someone can be like, I like these, but I didn't like these, but overall give it a positive review because that means that like, you know, they're, they're starting to understand that format. And that's, that's the hard thing about being a solo creator. is like, you, you obviously can't compete with Assassin's Creed, you know? No. <laughs> um, so you're hoping that people can understand the vision of your product. That's kind of what Indie's about, is trying to make a good enough product that people like it, but also that hope, helping that people understand the vision and the fact that you know it can't really be compared to Doom Eternal. Um, right. And so to see people, like the industry, uh, well, our, our fans and the people that have played the game, be like, yeah, I get what you're going for. Like, that's like really, really, really heartening, especially because our product, like being 12 independent singular visions put together with you know kind of my vision for the launcher and stuff you know and then whoever was designing the launcher uh, all those visions like coalescing into a product that people like is, is 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 very uh heartening because you know the typical industry standard is like you know you have 60 to 100 people working on one game that no one's passionate about i mean maybe someone at ea yeah or no absolutely
1: like, they're passionate people but you know Either either it's everyone like, gets to say, or you know, and then it's just this kind of like soup of everybody's opinions, or it's uh or you know it's a Kojima kind of game where you know it's one guy's weird auteur view, which hey I love, but that that doesn't happen that often, and yeah. you're taking just an incredible financial risk. <laughs> I don't know.
2: Yeah, Apex, like,
1: mm-hmm.
2: or is it Anthem? Am I thinking Anthem? Be- yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, as far as, like, the soup. But here's
2: yeah. the thing, when I talked to I my mean, it kids, could have been
1: Apex. Apex could have come out and completely just... Except it's great, you know? Yeah.
2: Um, they came out at the same time, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I will say, like, when I talk to my younger cousins, though, like, that are, you know, just graduating high school, about to go into college, they are, like, they only talk about, like, Red Dead Redemption or, like, all the, like, big... Like, GTA, like, all the big AAA games, Batman... Mm-hmm like stuff like that. They don't give a crap about indie games at all. Like indie games are not even on the horizon. They do not think of even things like Cuphead. They've heard of Cuphead. They've seen Cuphead, but they don't think of that as an indie game because it's popular. And they're like, well indie games, you know, they're just not polished enough or, you know, they, they seem kind of boring or they're too short. Mm-hmm. Or like they have all these excuses that but they don't even like try to play them. They don't look at them at the game store. They just buy the games that their friends buy and so that the benefit of working for a game like let's say rocket league which is you know started off as one thing and then became yeah. <laughs> another is that like if you say oh yeah i worked at rocket league people still know what that is and mm-hmm. you have name brand recognition therefore all of a sudden you're way more important than this person that made this like weird little indie game
0: yeah well, unfortunately, Psionics has not seen a whole lot of success outside of Rocket League. Their Nosgoth game didn't do very well. Actually, like they canceled it before. Oh, that them?
1: I didn't know. I didn't know it was the same team. Yeah, I remember. I remember Nosgoth, but
0: yeah, I remember oh. Nosgoth too. I'm very sad it didn't uh, become a real thing because it was a cool mm-hmm.
1: game.
2: That's uh, um, sorry. I, w- I could have like a whole thing about like why that game didn't work out, but go ahead, Nate.
1: No, I just I, I think that's you know. I, I do see, I see an attitude among some indie developers that like they want to be put on the same level as like the, the AAA, you know, uh, they want the same amount, you know, they're like, Oh, Polygon doesn't talk about us or IGN doesn't talk about us. And it's like, yeah, that's true of all media. You know, (laughs) there's going to be, you know, the average person on the street who watches, you know, uh, they, they see their three Marvel movies a year or whatever. (laughs) And Hey, I love Marvel. This is not a diss at Marvel. Um, isn't necessarily following every, like, indie film festival and catching, you know, these, like, limited distribution things with, you know, without major stars and that kind of thing. There may be some absolutely incredible stuff in those, those uh, you know, smaller festivals. There probably is incredible stuff in those smaller festivals, but they're just not, they don't have, you know, basically it's the money, right? They don't have the money to be on the sides of buses and billboards and YouTube mid-roll ads and everything.
0: Luckily, I think that the industry is large enough that there's space for both, triple a and indie and i you know i think that a good Mm -hmm. analogy of this is that like this happens in other markets as well like for example beer which i know a lot about uh like you know you have your anheuser bushes you have your millers you know you have your your big landmark companies that basically dominated the market for ever you know Mm -hmm. and then uh you know craft brewing started being a thing probably around oh, I want to say 10 years ago, really. Actually, probably more like 15 It
1: was, years it was earlier, but like it started to really blow up, I think. Yeah, around. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, uh, now it's like, like there's craft breweries all across America. Right, right, absolutely. And, and, well, you know, and, and certain breweries, like Stone is like, you know, or, uh, you know, Port Brewing, and like there's a lot of like these small breweries that people really like, and they started small, but like, you know, they're not really destroying the market of Anheuser-Busch. They're just like, because most of the people that drink beer – are like from Wisconsin, all of them, everyone in Wisconsin. <laughs> they drink more beer than everyone else in the world. I don't know that for sure, but mm-hmm. I'm just making fun of Wisconsin. No, I think that's scientific. Yeah, that's like a pure pure fact. You know, they're drinking and a lot. And a lot of people just like don't really care about craft beer. They're just like, I'll just drink my Miller and like have a good time. And you know, it's and whatever. Like no one, you don't have to like care about craft beer. I'm just <laughs> saying that like you know, indie games are kind of similar. Is that like there's this rising market for indie. Uh, which is like for people that want something a little bit different that don't want just necessarily uh, the the Anheuser-Busch model. And I would say that you know games like uh, Assassin's Creed and and Far Cry and stuff like that are definitely the the Anheuser busch model. And I, I you know it's it's funny because like I play these games I'm like this is fine and it's polished but you know there's a certain lack of you get to a point where you're like you you real you can see the corporate scenes. like you can see the lack of intern like uh, uh of passion or drive like you know it just it just feels so uh copy paste repeated and like you know like oh this is where this quest goes and this is where this mm-hmm. quest goes and you know the, oh the, and then here's the reward that you get for doing this thing because we have to have rewards for certain milestones and like uh i i think that the moment that really kind of disenfranchised me on like AAA is uh, actually far cry 3 yes far cry 3 um which is a good game but uh i noticed that like there were Uh, there there's rewards for basically every collectible in that game you can get like Mm -hmm. a better you can get you can your knife can turn into a sword if you complete all of these uh ruins excavation quests if you do all of the um the cell towers and you get this special gun uh sorry i i said all what i mean is that there's like a milestone for doing half of them but there's no reward for doing them all and i was like oh Someone at the company was like, "Well, if we make the player have to do all of them, then they're going to feel bad if they can't do all of them." And so they 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 like they changed the design so that people wouldn't feel bad because mm-hmm. they didn't do all of it. And I'm like, "Oh, so you're like limiting the design space of your game because you want to appeal to a broad audience." And I was like, that's that does that's not what I'm here for, because I'm a hardcore gamer. But I'm not gonna go and be like, oh, I don't understand why people play Far Cry five and six and twelve or whatever. Like, cause I get it. They're solid, polished shooters. That there's just something about the design that's tailored to being the lowest common denominator. Like you don't have to be good at Far Cry to beat it at all. No. Well.
1: <laughs> cause every time um, you die, yeah. you just go back
0: to the base and respawn.
1: But, you know, yeah, like, sometimes, you know, I obviously, I'm I'm in this, like, indie space, and I, you know, I love the output of that. But sometimes, yeah, sometimes I want to play the, you know, $500 million budget, you know, shooter with, that just, like, blows my socks off with, you know, insane fidelity and, you know, star cameos and all that stuff. Sometimes it's fun. Um, but, yeah, I think my heart's not, like, that's not where my heart is.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't right. I, I'm not, and I, I often come off like I'm shimming on AAA, which I'm not. Like I think that you know these people make good products, and they they're working you know to make the best thing that they can. And I, I like a lot of the stuff that comes out of that side of the industry. You know, like I'll never be the guy that's like Call of Duty's bad because it's not bad. It's just like not my thing. Right. Um Despite the fact that I have bought every Call of Duty game, I don't know why.
1: I mean, um, hey, if you look if you look at my playtime like on Steam, like my number one game is Destiny Two because which is is like that's that's the hamster wheel right that's the skinner box of you know like of skinner boxes that's just like hey what if that gun had a bigger number next to it (laughs) do this do this thing 15 times in a row and maybe you'll get a chance at that you know and like i don't know man sometimes it's nice to just zone out and go for the bigger number
0: yeah yeah i mean i played Um, world of warcraft for a very long time so right i I understand the, the the desire for bigger numbers
1: and, you know, and then sometimes it's like, no, no, I want this, you know, this person's very personal story about their, you know, the their uh, relationship breaking up, you know, but told through uh, visual metaphor yeah. and, you know, it, it, that's just, you know, free on itch or a dollar on itch or something like that. And, hey, I, I do think, yes, I think the thing that I love about the industry is that there is room for both yeah, and everything and everything in between.
0: Frankly, I I think that honestly, the the thing that really upset that that as most turned me off to AAA is not actually like the monetization or the, um, uh, the clear, like dumbing down of the game mechanics. It's mostly Mm -hmm. the narrative because I find a lot of, uh, AAA games to be, because there are AAA games that I like that, uh, like Max Payne 3, I think Mm -hmm. it's an amazing game, um, and you know that's clearly made yeah. by made by you know twelve hundred interns being lit, sure. uh, like a galley ship, but uh, <laughs> you know I really love the story of it, and I, I find that oftentimes the story is what hurts the most in AAA. Is like it's this reductionist story. Like I remember playing uh, Call of Duty uh, Infinite Warfare, and I I actually mm-hmm. really liked the Infinite Warfare campaign. Like
1: yeah, yeah I think it's, it's the best one in I don't know pretty yeah. much all of them.
0: Yeah. Um, But I really, really, really hated the hyper-nationalist, militaristic, fucking flag-waving good guy narrative and and that, and that same thing goes for the newest Call of Duty where even even when they're trying to be like we're gonna go rogue like it's still this hyper macho toxically masculine and I don't like to say that phrase because I think that a lot of times it gets misinterpreted by the wrong people no, But I, I know what you mean but it's like this whole thing where like the only way that you have value in this world is by shooting the bad guy and the bad guy is him and the world has these bad guys that are very clearly bad guys because they wear the bad guy hat and you can know and it's like that's mm-hmm. not how the world fucking works but obviously that's how it works in a story but I feel like the story is just like so reductionist and it gives it gives people it's like it's like a, it's like a fucking Tom Clancy novel it's like I hate yeah. Jack I hate Jack Ryan like I, I, I I've watched all of Jack Ryan and I think it's a well-made show and I enjoy it but I hate the the message which is that uh, you know bad things might happen in this world but as long as you have good guys standing up for the institutions then it's okay. And it's mm-hmm. like, but that's not really how the world works. Like no one, there's not straight good guys and bad guys in the world, which is why I prefer narratives like Gone Home, which people are like, just build some gay chick. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. That's what life is about. Well, you think life is like you standing on the hill as the as the Germans advance and you triumphantly yeah. with your machine gun, like hold them off and then you get a parade when you go home? Or Conan you get the just Barbarian. valiant, what?
2: Conan the Barbarian, uh, <laughs> man. Uh, Actually... I'll-
0: let me actually let me say Conan the Barbarian, the newest uh, run from Dark Horse. and by newest. I mean, like within the last like ten years, really, actually, complex story. Uh, but <laughs> old school Conan the Barbarian, yes, it is about a large muscle man who punches things harder than everyone else.
2: Well, it's just a narrative that like young men are kind of being down into them. And in fact, like I've been watching, I'm like, okay, let so me watch some new YouTubers that are play video games, and it's like a bunch of like guys that are having like really edgy comments. But they're the ones that get like millions of subscribers or hundreds of thousands of subscribers by having like these really edgy comments. Uh, And like, for example, I just saw a video with uh, Metal Gear Solid and they have the whole like, they have to mention the fact that you can see her in her underpants and Snake seeing nice butt. And (laughs)
1: that's a whole, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah.
2: Yeah. And so, I mean, I love,
1: I love the Metal Gear Solid series, but that's a whole, like, you kind of have to hold your nose through a lot of it. And that's, a lot of that comes down to either like Kojima's just kind of his predilections, predilections, whatever, his interests or uh, just kind of like the anime idea of fan service and all that where like you can have, I mean, it's like I just rewatched Evangelion when it was added to Netflix and like that show is extremely dark, extremely, you know, like uh, complex emotionally for, you know, for like a giant robot anime or whatever, but then it's also absolutely like, oh, look, he fell on his hand, landed on her boob.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. I hate that. I want to finish what I was gonna say. Like the, oh, point sorry. those games, that that anime, and those games happened like years ago. But my point is that YouTubers right now today are looking at these games and still saying the edgy comment and still perpetuating the idea that you just said. Mm-hmm. Uh, they- i just saw a silent hill uh video same thing they're like oh look at this nurse she's gonna give me a blah 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 like we're gonna have some intimate time and, mm-hmm. and i'm like, like guys just talk to each other like this and it's because of these youtubers and they do this because they're playing to their audience like they're like yes please give me views please make me more popular i'm gonna make these edgy jokes and you know just so you like me more right yeah so, pretty much yeah how do we how do we make like i don't know this actually, is actually not... this
0: is actually what I talked about uh, when I worked for the AmeriCorps. Um, this is like literally what I was trying to like teach people about in Phoenix, um, which is that like basically it's not the 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 problem with uh, like hyper aggressive like sex and sexuality is that like we we give people like uh, an un- unrealistic like um, paradigm of like because they're they're not saying that. Because that audience, like, they're not creating the audience for that kind of dialogue. That dialogue exists, and it's it's a self perpetuating kind of myth that like the coolest guys are the ones banging the most chicks or whatever. And um, it's like there's like a biological impulse to it. Like we as humans, like we we want to like in general like procreate and keep going. But like there's a lot of things that we've like since like worked out of our biology. Like you know we 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 like anyways the point the point i'm making is that like i I think that it's just that when people do that they're not necessarily like cognizant of the effect that they have and they're like what i'm just saying the shit that everyone's thinking and it's like yeah but like people do bad things and think bad things that doesn't mean that you should perpetuate them like there's certain things in our society that we have delineated as being bad like we have evolved past the concept of that as being a good thing so you know it used to be totally natural and acceptable that a 47-year-old lord would marry a 12-year-old girl like that 300 like sorry like 900 years ago normal now not normal we've evolved past that and that's a good thing to think like to go we should go back to that psychopaths like only psychopaths think that and there's they exist but the it, it, more insidious thought is that our current norms are acceptable because they are current and not something that we should try to work past you get what i'm saying
2: um i will say like on a different point that if i watch like instead of okay so instead of saying a typical like let's say females making gaming content i won't go there But i'll say females making let's say makeup content a lot of people say that women are just there to be gold diggers like that's the problem with women is that they just want you know but like whenever i watch like a really like like feminine like makeup tutorial women don't ever have this narrative of like i'm putting on this makeup so that i can hit on guys or you know like it's not about sex it's not about like i'm trying to you know trying to put on this makeup to make money and so it's just so strange to me that like guys are still having this narrative of like these female characters and putting these sex jokes in there and it just feels really immature and, and inappropriate but like all these female content creators don't say anything even close to that well
0: i, I think I, that i think that they so first off i don't think that there's anything wrong with like heteronormative sex and sexuality um, and I think that a lot of guys, when they hear people saying, like, hey, don't make jokes like that, they, they interpret it as, like, an assault on straightness, which is, like, very, very strange to
2: me. Yeah, and no, that's... That's not what I'm talking about at yeah, all I, I,
0: I'm I, I, I know. I, I'm, I'm telling you about the perception that people have. Like, this is what... Yeah. And, and, like, I, I don't think that... And it's, like, it's so, it's so dumb because, like, no one's trying to delete straight people, you know? That's, like, that doesn't exist. Um, I mean, sure. I'm, just, I'm certain some fringe people do, but that's, like, not, like, predominant. Um, and, and it's, it's difficult because like we, as men don't usually call out other men on when they're being, uh, inappropriate. Cause so like, we don't have this like acceptable paradigm of like how to, and we don't like, we're like, oh, we're just boys being boys, but you don't realize that like the boys being boys mentality is reinforcing like the ostracization from, of women from a community.
2: I literally just had to do that in our own discord just a couple days ago. Well, it's a process. Yeah, and then people are just like, "Oh, well, this it's just natural." I'm like, "Yeah, I know. I have boobs too. Like, <laughs> I know they're natural, but like, I don't feel comfortable in this environment. So stop." And they did. They were like, "Oh, like it yeah. just." It...
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's like you know, we we definitely we have lots of discussions in like the hundred PS one like moderation. Like we've just yeah. we've decided like we want this. You know, it, when you're talking about like horror is naturally like it pushes against norms and like you know it, it attracts you know everything from like the most normal people you've ever met to you know people who are absolutely edge lords and just trying to push everybody's buttons and we've kind of landed on the side of like no we're we want this to be like a wide open community so we're just not going to tolerate that shit
0: yeah um, and, and i will say that like you pushing back on them saying a thing is like it, it that should be okay like it shouldn't be mm-hmm. that every time someone has an issue with something someone else says it becomes a knockdown drag out fight and that is like the defensive yeah. toxic mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that's the that's where the toxicity comes in is like If you can't accept that what you said could reasonably make someone else uncomfortable when it is something that, like, reasonably could make them uncomfortable, like, okay, so apologize and move on. When you become defensive about it, that's how you get these insular communities that are like, no, we're just going to, like, that's when the objective of a community becomes to self-isolate and to ostracize outsiders is when they lack that ability to, like, realize with any kind of self-awareness that their actions might reasonably make someone else unset right and and, abso-
1: and certainly yeah. growing up you know and as a lot of these like the, the the huge youtubers and the huge twitch streamers are growing up as a straight white male kind of insulates you to the idea that things can be offensive and like i you know thankfully grew up um but i certainly as a teenager had a you know like part of me just thinks maybe oh their entire audience is like 15 because i certainly had a phase you know where like yeah. just being offensive was like <laughs> Fun. Oh, cool. I'm oh, man. I'm so edgy. Um, and then I, you know, grew up a little and realized the things I said or did affected people, right? Um, but I, de- I, definitely know people who never grew past that. You know, they and and you do have to call them on it, and how they react says a lot about, yeah, who they are.
2: I have to. I have to just say these, like these YouTubers that are making these like edgy video game content, which is isolating like women and non-binary and other groups because they're only talking. First of all, and the second problem is they are manipulating these teenagers to perpetuate this. And teenagers are like, this is what's cool, this is what's great. Like, ask my co- like my young female cousins who's a content creator you look up to, and they're like SS Sniper Wolf, and I'm like, what? <laughs> what?
0: I, I don't <laughs> know that's a, that's a Nazi, right?
2: Uh, as sniper wolf. What? Uh She's a female content creator that uses, like, a lot of sex and plays, like, a lot of FPS games and, mm. uh like, has pl- tons of plastic surgery and wears, like, a lot of skimpy clothes. And she, like, and she's, like, very immature and, like, very, uh just really not good. She's gotten to a lot of controversy. You can, like, look her up mm. on YouTube later. But I, I couldn't believe that my young cousins would be, like, that's their idol. Like, that's who they look up to and watch a lot of content of is people that are just, like, I've An never even heard of this person. Say, and it works. Yeah, sometimes I
1: feel like ill-equipped to talk about this kind of thing because, like, yeah, I'm—I I don't know, man. Like, my for me, like the concept, like I just watched Giant Bomb, and they're all a bunch of like 40-year-olds.
0: <laughs> this person has 22.2 <laughs> 2 million subscribers. I've never heard of them. That's crazy.
2: Giant
0: um, Bomb? No, it's no, a no, sniper no. wolf.
2: Yeah, I, I'm shocked that you don't know who she is because she's a hot girl. I thought you'd be all up I'm <laughs> just kidding, Ted. <laughs> I, prefer,
0: I prefer personality. But okay, so I was thinking yeah. SS sniper role would be a Nazi thing, thing. because it's yeah. SS. Mm-hmm. It's but
2: thing. Oh, it's Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, she likes guns and, you know, she's fake. Never mind. She's, she's, <laughs> she's, a,
0: she's very, attractive. Uh, very attractive. 21 million views. I failed the easiest test. It's her most viewed video is her being bad at math. That's so toxic. That is like... That's actually terrible that, like, her most famous video is her, like, pretending to be dumb. That's, like, a really bad role model.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, just, like, you just see all the controversy about her. She's done a lot of shady things, like, trying to take down other people that say bad things about her. She can't take criticism and makes fun of other people and is derogatory and just, like, like the worst. Now, now she's going to be
1: coming for dread.
2: Uh <laughs> uh no nah, it's okay she can do that she can people really
0: love youtube drama
2: even as the sniper wolf doesn't um yeah anyways like
0: well it's, it's it's all about just making teenage boys horny so that they click on your videos i don't yeah, know I, 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 and I that's about
2: it. that's what? my whole, entire point of this whole thing it's manipulative to men that's my whole point of it
0: yeah i mean it is but that's like when, you, when you're talking about, like, a, having a young boy, like, have the, the self-awareness to be, like, this person is, like, manipulating me, that goes right out the window the moment, like, you, <laughs> yeah. you think that you have a chance, you know? Yeah.
2: And,
0: and that's, yeah, but, that's, like, what a lot of these people are peddling is the illusion of a chance. I mean, I have a chance because I'm hot as shit, but, like, whatever.
2: Uh.
1: Well, see, I'm not, and I know I don't have one, so it's fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's... it's it I, has no effect on me. Look, I, I've been like these young boys. I think a lot of a lot of guys have. And like the question is so this is this is actually one place that I think Star is gonna disagree with me on because I'm about to agree with Joe Rogan. Uh, which is that uh, like there needs to be a way that like I, I think that the a big barrier to especially to young men and their, their fragile egos is that they don't like they, they, they think that once they get called out, their lives are over and all they can do is go blacker in the black pill, you know, like right, darker. Right. And I think there needs to be, like, more of a cultural acceptance for people, like, getting better and walking back. And I, I fully believe that as, like, a member of AA. Like, because I've seen yeah. people that are, like, really, I, really... What?
2: I agree. And I don't hate Joe Rogan. I, I'm i half-half on him.
0: Yes. Like, I, it is... It's so funny that Joe Rogan's a controversial figure because he's just, like, a dumb dude with a podcast that's kind of funny. Actually, he's actually very funny. He's, his comedy is really, really funny. Uh, and, and then everyone's going to hate me because I said that. I don't know. Anyways, um, I'm not trying to, like, take a stance in the culture war here. I'm not trying to, like stake a claim i'm just trying to say that there's like an obvious problem and like there mm-hmm. needs to be a way to address that problem and like i think a lot of people agree that like you know there should be a way to walk things back but at the same time then there's people that like go into tweets from like oh i don't want to say tweets from 20 years ago but they're like they'll go way 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 deep into someone's oh, for sure. past to like try to find things to skewer them on because they can and and i think that that's that's a like this is a legitimately terrifying prospect like mm-hmm. is that like something from like 20 years ago is going to bite you in the ass and you're like i i, I was like I don't want to be known for who I was when I was nineteen,
2: you
1: know? Yeah, right. yeah. no. I mean, like i've I've been pretty open on Twitter because for I think for that very reason, like you know, I used to have and don't this is not me like revealing that I had this like super transphobic past, but I just had like ignorant ideas about it, you know, and I would yeah. it like, would make jokes and like i didn't I didn't get it. And uh, it wasn't something that I had any direct experience with, you know, and so I didn't see the harm in jokes and I, I you know oh, people just making up genders here left and right that kind of thing um and then you know you up, i yeah. met i met i grew up and i met any any sort of trans people and i've had people like say hey eh, not cool and like you go oh shit, i'm sorry i didn't realize okay all right
0: yeah you yeah. live and in. Your it's life. like pretty
1: much that easy they weren't like you can never step here again it was just like hey by the way you know that that's not cool I'm like, okay all right sorry and i i thought about it and, yeah you know still in those it's communities, true.
2: you know? And that's why men don't call each other out, though, is in, like, I feel like as a woman, I have to. Like, no one else is going to do it for me, which is exactly mm-hmm. what happened just a couple days ago. I was like, nobody else is going to see the problem with this, so I'm going to have to tell them that this is a problem because they right. just like, they are just so, like, that. So, But I am also, I'm used to being the bad guy. Like, I'm used to being called, like, a bitch <laughs> uh, <laughs> behind my back because, like, I would call people out and say, no, this is not cool but I had to do what's right because things had to get better. And at least like I did the best I could and told other people, Um, Mm -hmm. like I had to get to that point where I'm just like, I just, I have to not care if you like me or not. I just have to not care about that because I have to like, in like maybe a few years from now, (laughs) they'll realize I'm, I'm right. But in this present Mm -hmm. moment, they're going to get really defensive and attack me. And I'm just going to have to be strong enough to take it. Mm -hmm. So that sucks, (laughs) but that's just the reality you know when you're yeah
0: well and here's the thing is that um what what you're talking about with men calling out other men like it does that that's the problem is that like even the structure of male male male-on-male communication is like relatively Mm -hmm. toxic because like you can call out another guy but like the easiest way to call out another guy is to like call him a bitch or tell him he's being a pussy like that's the Mm -hmm. like the default way of doing it and that there's like something inherently toxic about that you know um yeah and, and and another problem is is that like I think that uh, like men they tend to only they they there's there's a predominant sense in in male tribalist uh, communication which is a lot of people are still kind of like that there's this is my group this is my tribe this is who I hang out with that um, the the way that you communicate. You don't. You don't take issue with things that you aren't involved in. I take care of me. I take care of my group. If it's not me and it's not my group, then I don't have a say in it. And they might have opinions on it, but well, I'm not going to get involved because this kind of stoic, the stoicism that's that comes with uh, the male persona, is is like okay, well, you know, it's not my it's not my deal. But we don't, and it doesn't extend to like extend to like, hey, you know, like, you know, so if someone's like talking shit about like gay people and you don't have any gay relatives it's not in like most men aren't raised to then start a fight you're raised to look after your own but if you do have like a gay brother or sister then you might call them out and that's kind of just how male communication works with each other and like one of the things you have to get better at with as a guy is like trying to teach people to care more about people than just their immediate circle of like acquaintances and um, that's one of the things we always try to do when we do, like, education classes is to try to, like, pair people with people they wouldn't normally pair with. Because, like, the, the mm-hmm. like, ignorance and cultural misunderstanding only extends so far as, like, until you meet someone of the opposite group and, like, learn to understand them. And there's always friction at first. Like, you know, there's, there's this is, like, um, I have a number of trans friends. Uh, people have to come out as trans and uh, mm-hmm. a lot of my older friends are like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to call them. I don't know what to say. I'm like, have you asked? And they're like, uh, no. And so I'm like, hey, you know, uh, I noticed. So I go and I ask, you know, what do you prefer to go by now? What are your preferred pronouns? You know, do you have a name you'd like me to refer you as? Never once has any trans person bit my head off for like asking. No,
1: they just want, they just want to be respected.
0: Right, exactly. But that's the thing is like, we don't teach men to be how to be comfortable outside of their normal circle. We teach them well, to be quiet.
2: They need to do that with religion and politics, too. Same like again. honestly, you know, cause I'm in the boat of like love and other people are just like, I'm so open-minded, but then when it comes to certain subjects, then I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> like, and I think like your method of like actually talking to the other side would like resolve a lot of the issues that we have. I, I will tell you that,
0: yeah, solved.
2: the number so of not solving problems,
0: the number of people I don't get along with is, is very small. Because I, I usually do a pretty good job of listening to people. But True. we do have this, especially when you're during the pandemic where all of our communication is online, where mm-hmm. like you don't have to. Anyway, hey, real quick, um, this is a great conversation. We should probably talk about Nate's game at some point, right? Yeah. So, uh, Star, why don't you go ahead and start asking Nate questions
2: about his game <laughs> while I use the bathroom? <laughs> yeah. All right.
1: Hey, that's right. What game are we making? Um,
2: oh. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. the... <laughs> It's funny because like, again, like just anybody's like listening to this for the first time, like Ted comes from again, like a journalism, like media side of the industry. And so this is the first year that Ted has actually been involved, like directly with game development Well, Mm -hmm. before he was on the other side. I'm journalists like a lot of people around games like you play like I played games my entire life where I've written about games for years. It's not the same as making games. And so me, um, I have never been in journalism, so I don't actually know that much about that side, but I do know development because I've been like, especially for like small indie development, like I've ran a lot of communities and talked to like thousands of developers from like students to like, like veteran AAAs um, on like, and helped with like a lot of projects and a lot of consultations and worked for like a lot of different companies so uh yeah that's why like mostly I do like the heavy game dev talks like that are Mm -hmm. my technicals because like I definitely feel more comfortable doing that um and also like I'm just and I'm just fascinated with the art of game dev itself because I do believe it's it's just like painting or singing or like music right yeah I mean
1: I think that's one of the things that actually draws me to it is that I like I've dabbled in a lot of different things and I don't really stick with them but like with games you're doing especially when you're like a solo dev or in a small team like you're kind of you're wearing a ton of hats and you're kind of doing everything and so you're swapping back and forth between like i'm working on sound design now i'm working on level design now i'm coding now i'm you know composing the theme song and i personally that helps maintain my interest in it is like i don't know skipping around between all the various disciplines
2: Well, and that's why I think game dev is the the best medium there is, is because one, there's the interactivity. So it makes people like have to be more involved because they have to like actually interact with it. And then two, uh, you're not just doing music. You're not just doing art. You're not just doing coding. You're doing like everything all together cohesively to create a narrative. And if you Mm -hmm. do it well, like that's even more impressive because, you know, all of these things, plus, you know how to design it well.
1: Yeah, I, for a long time, my my Twitter bio was like "Jack of some trades, master of none," and it was just like, yeah, I I, I do you know I do a lot. I, I don't know that I'm great at any of them, but I can get by, um, which is good enough. You know, they come together to be something more than the, some of their parts.
2: Yeah. So tell us about like when you, you know, when you first joined uh, DreadX. Like, how did you get the idea for this game, and like, how has it evolved?
1: Um. Yeah, so, um, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll admit that, like, when I first heard that the theme was, like, cute, spooky, like, spooky, I was like, ah, I got nothing for that. Like, I was actually, I was kind of looking for, you know, it's it, for as much as I've been in the horror realm, I don't, I haven't really made, like, a full-on horror game yet. Um, I've made horror adjacent things. Like, some people, like, people get freaked out by Sagebrush, but it's not, like, nothing particularly scary happens in it. Um, it's just, like, got this, well, dread I don't know like I didn't even mean that as a pun but it's like there's this sense of dread um, and so I was like oh yeah well maybe I'll finally get to make something that really you know like a real horror game and they're like well okay so cute spooky and I was like oh well, I don't know and my first my first instinct was like a little bit of disappointment with the theme and then I was like well no wait I can work with that um, and um, so I yeah I don't know I was thinking I was trying to think, like, what can I take that's cute, that's spooky? And I was also trying to think, what is everyone else, like, where where are, like, the main, like, where is everyone else going to go? Because I didn't want to accidentally just make, you know, the same idea as someone else.
2: Like, I wish that, because this is, like, my favorite theme, like, of horror. Like, Mm -hmm. I wish more of this because Slasher has been around for a while. And a lot of the themes have been done over and over again in horror. Like, especially Mm -hmm. with, like... Um, Outlast, like the certain like popular games, Resident Evil, Silent Hill, mm-hmm. that like like redone over and over again. So I wanted this because this is different and yeah. I love cute things, but I feel like in the next, this is a learning experience for us. I want to do this theme again, but maybe do like themes in the future that fit what developers are already comfortable with, if that makes sense. hmm hmm so uh, I'm not sure exactly what themes you'd be comfortable with necessarily, but I feel like, um, yeah, because I feel like this collection could have been more cute uh, because I feel like when people are going to play this, like they're not going to necessarily see that right away because a lot of the games are still like grim and dark, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah like yours got a shadowy head, you know, that's attached to like all these wires. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so it's yeah, not- well- yeah
1: you know it seems like no matter what i what i work on it does end up coming out like kind of grim like i just did you know uh before this i was working on uh cellular harvest which was a like Mm -hmm. like this lo-fi alien photography game that came out Mm -hmm. um and literally i started working on it like i'll you know i just made this like sagebrush was this very thematically grim (laughs) you know uh kind of thing um and i was like maybe i'll just make something nice uh like let's just make something nice and fun and chill and then i uh I started working with uh, Zalavir who worked on collection one um, and he immediately was like, what if you're taking pictures of these aliens so that they can harvest their, like their genes and create consumer products out of them. And like came up with this whole like sinister undertone to the whole thing. And I'm like, well, all right, I guess this is like now kind of a horror game too. <laughs> um, and I mean, it, I'm really happy with how it turned out. Like the writing was really, really sharp and everything. Um, but uh yeah, I can't seem to escape, like, even if I try to make something nice, it comes out um, kind of creepy. Well,
2: like, I think the problem is, like, too many people think horror games needs to be, like, a certain way. Like, have a, a ghost or a monster or serial killer mm-hmm. or like that. But there's a lot of horror in every day. Just um, a lot of TV shows that, like, don't seem like it's horror but actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, like, terrorism shows. Like, a lot of, like, there, there is, like, villains and sinister things that happen in, like, everyday TV shows all the time mm-hmm. well basically
0: ah. uh, I, my theory on this is that basically everything plays on that emotion of fear and we just cer- yeah. have relegated certain things to being horror versus non-horror and I, I wouldn't say yeah. all, all media plays on fear but a lot of it does you know like even if you look at something like must love dogs which is a, a move a, a wonderful movie uh i think with tom hanks or is that you got mail who fucking knows anyway cra- cra- crazy, crazy stupid love great movie love that movie um, but the primary thing is like, what if I'm too old to find love again? What if, like I, like what, what if I'm gonna be alone? And that's like, it's playing off these fears, and um, like I realized recently that I can't really watch war movies anymore uh, because I get too sad. Like I, I, I'm like fuck. Like people, this like actually happens. People like actually die, and for someone to like then say something like, "Oh, you watch those horror movies? Oh, aren't those like just dark and scary?" I'm like, did you watch like? I don't know, the newest uh, fucking John Wick movie. Do you know how many people die in that movie? Like people die all the time, but it's fun. It's actioning. But in real life, like real, real violence happens, you know? And it's like, it's, it's, and I find that more terrifying than I do ghosts. Cause I don't believe in ghosts. <laughs> Cause, ghosts, cause yeah. ghosts aren't
2: real. Yeah. Just like what's happening with cops this year and our society, you know, cops are getting a new perspective right now in our culture that has never been there before. And it is horrifying.
0: Dude, I was riding my bike the other day and there was uh, a cruiser going up and down my streets. I live in this little, you know, suburban neighborhood that's very, very nice. So, like, we don't really have crime. But this cruiser was going up and down with his lights on. And I was more afraid that the cop was going to shoot me than whatever he was going after was going to, like, find me.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And and I am white as fuck. So, I mean, you see that video of that guy in Arizona, uh, in, in Mesa, Arizona, not that far from where I used to live. That got, like, lit up by that cop because he, like, his pants fell down while he was trying to crawl to the cop and they just murdered him. He was on his face. Like, it was it was fucking horrible. That terrifies me way more than, like, because I used to, I mean, I, I was a scared kid growing up. I used to, like, you know, sleep with my head under the covers and stuff. Um And, like, I'm way, 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 like, way more scared now of that than I am of going to my shed at night,
2: you know? Um, There's also, like you know, in the 60s and 70s, like, people used to hitchhike all the time and just, like, you know, give rides to each other. And then all of a sudden, in the 80s, there was stranger danger. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, strangers became, like, really terrifying because that's the first time that our culture actually had things like pedophiles and stuff like that. Well, before that, you know, that wasn't even a word that people knew. Like, that wasn't part of our media. And then so-
1: they existed, but they weren't, you know, thrown in people's faces all the time. And, you know, the... Yeah. Like, they, they existed, but they were pretty uncommon, and so it wasn't something that was, like, in the popular consciousness.
2: Exactly. And even, like, World War II was, like, romanticized as, like, yes, America's fantastic. Look what we did in World War II. Like, great. And our, the soldiers are, like, uh, <laughs> You know? So, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. So, the, anyway, that was, like, way too long of a tangent to talk about, like, your games and how <laughs> <laughs> your games, you know... Uh, I don't know there's you can put horror in just about anything
1: so yeah well I don't know yeah so it was like I mean I think you know Ted was saying like you know everything kind of plays off the sense of fear I think um you know something that you see in like you know child's play and other you know certain things that that kind of you know they take the fear is they take something safe and make it unsafe right and so yeah. that's that's pretty much what uh Sato Wonderland is going for where it's like oh hey here's something what if there's just this amusement park that's you like you know clowns that's like the classic one right um something that was supposed to be you know friendly and fun and you know uh welcoming and you know it's not that hard to take that and, and make it deeply unsettling um so yeah i just started with these mascots and i designed you know like the I, the the main character i i designed without trying to make them make her look scary you know it wasn't like oh you know cuz like um one of the things i hate is um like in the movie, like in the the Annabelle movies, like the Conjuring series, yeah. like the Annabelle doll, they would make it like really horror or like horrific looking. They make it look all spooky, and like the the real doll was it just was like a, a raggedy you know, Ann you know, doll. Yeah, it was just a raggedy Ann doll that is way creepier. Now I'm sure maybe they couldn't get the Raggedy Ann rights or whatever, but I'm sure they could have designed a much more like just normal looking doll, and that would have been way creepier than this like. Doll that looks like it was designed by a horror movie concept artist.
0: I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually. I, I agree with you that the Raggedy Ann doll is creepier. That being said, there are certain visuals that immediately convey this is spooky movie to you, and that, and sure, that for
1: the poster and stuff, sure, you know, exactly. That so that
0: and, and well, and that's a lot of film is like is getting people to come into the seats. Like mm-hmm. this is the thing. Well,
1: that, yes, but at the same time, the Annabelle doll was 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 a side thing in the first Conjuring movie before it was its own spin-off series so
2: what i like about things like hannibal lecter is hannibal lecter fooled everybody for a long time because he's like just a a normal guy who's just really smart and charismatic Mm -hmm. and really funny and the fact that he was so normal like you didn't expect him to be such a like disgusting devious person like he he Mm -hmm. didn't look like what a serial killer should look like he was you know serial killers aren't supposed to be intelligent and so well spoken and so funny and charismatic like serial killers are supposed to be like you know
0: well, I, <laughs> I, I want to I quickly talk about though what you were talking about with like the visuals of, of horror because um I was talking to I was interviewing Jason Patrick um who was the lead in Wayward Pines uh, season two they killed the first lead mm-hmm. in season one um and I was interviewing him and M. Night Shyamalan uh it was like a double interview and um you know M. Night's like a very 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 friendly upbeat guy and Jason Patrick is um like a very uh he's like a consummate Hollywood professional he's very reserved he's he, he answers your questions very directly and um you know he he doesn't really he doesn't come off as too personable but that's that's like he comes off as like an, a, an actor um mm-hmm. which is good I mean that's kind of what you want your actors to come off as um you don't want them to be be too goofy or whatever um and he was saying that like that was you know, this is around the time where we were going through the transition of uh Hollywood movies being like the biggest things of the year to shows being the biggest events of the year. So, you know, game of Thrones time I'm trying to remember when wayward pine season two happened. So this is probably five, six years ago. Now I'm trying to remember when I did this interview. I was in my early twenties, but anyways, he said to me, uh, you know, we were asking, I was asking this question a lot. Cause I was, this is also the the same. I believe this was WonderCon. I was also doing a uh, preacher and outcast and a number of other shows that were really, really cool. Um, I was like, you know, this seems to be the Renaissance for, for TV, um you know what golden age of television what what cuz he was in uh, a number of rather big budget movies in rush uh he was in the lost boys um and i was like you know what's it like going from film to tv he's like you look it used to he was very straightforward he's like look it used to be the case that uh if you were in tv you weren't good enough for film. That was the perception. And now it's completely changed. And as an actor who's worked in film, I'd rather work in TV now because mm-hmm. the problem with film is that it's like, you don't understand this, but uh, he said this to me. I, I did understand it, but he was he was trying to impress upon a point. So I'm just kind of re- repeating what he said. He's like, when you work on a film, the whole objective is you are trying, you are, the whole production is for one weekend. All that fucking matters is that opening box office weekend. Because after that it drops eighty percent, and if you're not getting those asses in those seats in that first weekend, so you have to make something that's going to want to make people see that in the first weekend, and it leads to incredibly deceptive productions and incredibly deceptive production design, where you're just trying to get the flashiest product to get people in the seat for one weekend. And with new streaming services and 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 you know the shows and stuff, you're not just trying to get people in for one weekend. You can have this longer, uh, you know, this longer tail of people finding out about the show as it goes on so you can have these like you know resurgences within the second and the third seasons like you know you you can actually tell a better story and and be a more complex character you don't have to you can act in a more reserved way like you can you can flesh out the character over time you don't have to be the most hyperbolic version of yourself for this two-hour film to get people's asses in the seats and he was actually saying that like he says like i think streaming services for like shows and he said and he was this is like before you know netflix was the the the, or an Amazon Prime, or like the powerhouse film studios that they are now, is like I think that every streaming service is going to start making films, and they're going to be making more interesting films than what we're seeing in theaters. And it was prophetic in that sense, and I I, I really agree because when you were talking about something like the 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 oh does this look spooky? Is this a horror movie? And you're talking about the Annabelle doll, and you're like, well, personally, I think the Raggedy Ann doll is more spooky. But they're not they're not designing it for fans. They're designing it for someone that random person wanted.
1: on the street who's yeah just being like, looking at the poster
0: yeah, yeah. Like, oh that looks spooky i can walk into that theater that'll, go for,
1: that'll be good for a date yeah
0: yeah exactly <laughs> and um and that's that's kind of it's the market is is shifting in in film and in in because you know tiger king was like an explosive hit and there's no easy way to wrap up what tiger king is in a elevator pitch or in a single image you know
1: um you joking face is a pretty good summary but yeah Say joking joe exotic's face is a pretty good
0: <laughs> well, yeah, summary of that you like, know... I think you,
1: had, you know but at the same time yes right know like, saying, you know the, sure. meme,
0: the meme of joe saying i'll never financially recover from this is like
1: no i mean you know i i took i took uh screenwriting classes in college i was a film major and um and like we got hammered on like log lines or like you know boiled down elevator pitch like and some of that's still Matters in game dev as well, like yes, it a lot does. Of it. absolutely matters. Um, but yeah, it was like we don't really care what your story is about. We care how much you can fit into a sentence that that are make, that's going to make Concept. someone go hmm.
0: Well, that's one of the things we try to convey to the developers or our games is like, you know, you're, this is going to have to be streamable. You know, you have to have streamers mm-hmm. play it. But there's there's this middle ground between um, making a game that's just made for streamers and making a game that has like a little bit more narrative complexity. And you can marry the two. It's it's just difficult, and that there yeah. lies the success of a lot of recent games. Um, you know, like 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 uh, like Fall Guys. A lot of its success isn't just because of the quality of the game. It has to deal with like the marketing team, and the marketing team has been largely responsible for creating the narrative of the game and the narrative of Fall Guys mm-hmm. isn't necessarily a story in the game, it's the narrative of following the social media and following the jokes and right. becoming part of this in-crowd, but that fits in with the theme of this kind of game show style game that they're creating, so it's, you know, it's really a a, a, a brilliant, you know, they've had some brilliant marketing for it, and I don't know who does it, but, you know, they've done... Uh, Oliver? They do good.
2: That's his name. But he does, he does community stuff but yeah, they, I mean, they have a full team and a big budget, so... Mm-hmm. That's not, but honestly, what we've done is... I'm i am very proud of what I can do. That's all I can say.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely.
2: Back to your game. Uh, you see... Okay, so you see, so far in social media, you've shown this head connected to wires. What else mm-hmm. happens in this game? Like, what are the... What is the mechanics?
1: Yeah, so the idea is that it's basically this kind of futuristic uh, amusement park. Or, like, that's the... You know, the setting is this futuristic amusement park in japan where all of the like kind of like you know imagine disney world but all the characters are just ais instead of you know people in suits um and so they're artificially intelligent but they're like their goal in life is just to you know kind of again like the disneyland people in suits like their goal is to just make things as pleasant as possible for the uh, you know uh for the guests uh, and you come in a little after this has happened, but basically, there's an incident where one of the oldest and you know most beloved mascots of the the, the amusement park, which has seen better days, it's kind of on the decline because uh, this is far enough in the future that now even the idea of like oh AI mascots and you know is kind of like passe. They don't really care anymore. Mm. Uh, it used to be cool. It's not as cool anymore. Um, but one of the oldest characters uh, has been acting erratically, and then has like an incident where it basically like she grabs a kid away from the mother and like runs away with it. Um, and they have to like track it down and all that stuff. Um, you know, not typically what you want to have happen. Uh, so basically you in the game, you play as basically the handler of the AI mascots, kind of like the, the zookeeper almost, who uh, whose job is to basically hook her up to a diagnostic machine and interrogate her to figure out what's going on. Um, Hence all the wires. You know, so we take this, you know, essentially just very cute, lovable character, rip half of her head off, and stick a bunch of wires in it. And it's a, it's a, it's a I hope, a fairly unsettling image. Um, and so the, the mechanically, the, the way it works is, um, I've always kind of enjoyed uh, games that actually let you try to be a detective. It's really hard. It's a really hard thing to do. Um, mechanically because games want to tell you like game mechanics need to be kind of concrete and uh, like mysteries are obviously kind of abstract. And so like you're trying to like piece together um, facts and and concepts and stuff. is not something that's easy to uh, make as a a concrete game mechanic. So, um, but uh, some games have done it by basically, basically just like kind of matching topics. Uh, The Blackwell uh Blackwell Games from Wajidai—they're like these old school point-and-click adventures—and mm-hmm. they have this notebook where you uh, you're kind of like matching topics. So um, I I came up with basically the idea that you you have this list of topics and you're kind of like injecting those topics into like the AI brain of the the fox, the the mascot character, um, to basically get her responses from it, um, and by unlocking dialogues, you're you unlock new topics and then you can create new combinations of topics and unlock more topics and and so on. And through that, you're, you're kind of getting more and more of the picture of the story and also, um, some creepiness as she starts to break down a little bit more. Um, so that's, that's primarily the the main mechanic. And that's why like most of the social media stuff is from this one room because it primarily like it it takes place in, in one room where you're basically just talking to this disembodied fox head,
2: Um, have you played observer
1: yeah Mm -hmm. i love observer
2: okay (laughs) just wondering oops observer's observer's pretty good yeah that's kind of
1: yeah well it's interesting so i uh side note i so i for god 12 years now i've been doing reviews for adventure gamers um which is a niche website for adventure games specifically um and uh So I've, through them, I kind of became the resident horror guy. Um, And so I reviewed, you know, I reviewed Amnesia back when that came out, which was mind-blowing at the time and everything. Um, But I've reviewed every uh, Bloober team game, which is, that's the team that made Observer. Um, And so, and it's funny, I I hated Layers of Fear. And then they did Observer, and I loved uh, Observer. And then they did Layers of Fear 2, and I hated Layers of Fear 2. And it's like the same team. I don't know. Um, and they're, they're even very uh, similar games
2: yeah i'm very opposite of you like uh, but then again i'm a very like old school like i went to art schools so I, I studied art history <laughs> so i'm like oh my god they made a horror game about paintings yes yeah yeah i love victorian aesthetic you know but uh, yeah. server, i was just like what is going on i have no idea what's going on what the heck is this like
1: <laughs> yeah that's fair um <laughs> man if i could know if i could make Hey, well, I didn't have time in 10 days to make a game that looked like Observer, but you know, I I think aesthetically <laughs> the game is mind
2: blowing. Yes. Um, you can do it.
1: Yeah. All right, well, I'll get to work then. Um, <laughs> um I, like, I like
0: Observer. I also like Layers yeah. of Fear. I just like most games, I don't know. Probably I don't know.
1: There like was something it, I mean, I could get I could go on about what I didn't like with Layers of Fear, which is not to say that I think it's a bad game. It just it it hit a lot of horror pet peeves of mine. Um but primarily, I think, like, pacing is really important. Pacing is the most important thing in horror, right? Like, pretty much anything can be scary if it's paced correctly. Um, it doesn't actually have to be something, like, the, the, the scary thing that happens is less important than when it happens or how it's led up to, right? Um, and... I think Layers of Fear was a game that didn't understand like less is more in a lot of cases with horror, and it's very much just like every room you walk into, something creepy is going to happen, and something, that something creepy is basically going to be like, a book flies off the shelf, and then the next one, like, a ghost kid whispers to you, and then you're going to walk into the next room and it's going to be like, the door was there, and now it's gone, and now the room's upside down, and the paintings are bleeding, and like, just for five hours straight, just every single room is just like, now this one's spooky, now this is spooky, rather than having like,
2: um, I think every, I think every single blooper game, like, first of all, their graphics, they, they have fantastic graphics. Oh, absolutely. Like, it's great. Um, uh, but I feel like every single one of those games have that problem mm-hmm. with what their, with their des- level design. I
1: and- mean, I would agree. I would agree. I think it just bothered me a little bit yeah. less in Observer just because it wasn't going for straight up scares as much as it was like.
2: Makes sense. Also, it did have
1: a little bit of downtime, like just navigating the apartment building. But, um, so I think, I think that did help for me. But I guess Layers of Fear 2 had a little bit of that as well, where you're just kind of getting normal space. I don't know. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you, though, that they, they're very kind of uh, throw everything at you. <laughs> don't hold back kind of horror, which um, can work, but I don't know. It didn't click with me.
2: Okay, what's a horror game that you think is perfect?
1: Um,
2: like- a horror game that, I,
1: I mean, man, I, I so I love... I mean, it might, it, it's probably not uh, a shock considering I'm, like, from kind of a haunted PS1 community, but, like, I love, like, the, the PlayStation era, like, survival horror, specifically Silent Hill, Silent Hill 2. Um, and, yeah, those, um, actually, I'll tell you one, one game that I think is, well, more recently, Alien Isolation to me was, like, perfect. Oh. Except twice as long as it needed to be. But otherwise, perfect. Um, and part of that is just I'm a huge fan of Alien, but um, it it was scary because the it was genuinely relentless. <laughs> like, it, the same reason a lot of people bounced off that game, it's really hard because the Alien, like, you know, it's, it's a survival horror game where, you know, the Alien has like this pretty complex AI that will, you know, stalk you through the ship. And like, It doesn't. A lot of games would just kind of script all of that where, you know, oh, it comes out at, you know, very specific moments for maximum effect and that kind of thing. And certainly it does that some of the time. But a lot of alien isolation is like, all right, hey, you're in this, like, space on the ship or on the space station. You have to complete these objectives, and this alien is around in the vents and will pop down and maybe kill you in one hit if you're not careful. And it was terrifying. Like, it was genuinely terrifying because. You couldn't kind of see the director's hand in it. You couldn't like say, "Oh, I bet a scare's coming up," because it was like acting like more like an animal than it was acting like a, I don't know, film character or something. Um, So I I really got a kick out of that.
0: That's a pretty good game.
1: Also, I just love those movies. So being able to walk (laughs) around like perfect recreations of those sets, more or less, is like,
0: yeah, "Ah." Yeah. IP matters. Say again.
2: IP matters. Mm -hmm.
0: I recently rewatched all the Alien films, and by recently, I mean like last two days um Mm -hmm. and it's it's really amazing how much of the lore for that franchise was introduced in aliens because you watch Mm -hmm. alien and it's it's like such a basic movie oh Uh, yeah there's some there's some lore sprinkled in but it's basically like you got these people and they're stuck in a ship and they're trying to get out and that's the whole plot and like there's like there's little pieces of like oh we want our shares and they're like oh my god they want to take this alien in from the science division, but that's like a very, very basic line. And then there's this Android and it comes out of nowhere. Like it, it's so yeah. weird trying to watch alien one again, after watching the rest of them, like how much the androids become part of the lore, how right. much Wayland Yutani becomes this evil corporation. It's like one of, it's like that, that, that Wayland Yutani being an evil corporation is a cornerstone of the rest of the franchise. Yeah. And it's like, it's like a throwaway line that just explains why, uh, they're they're extra screwed in the original. It's not like oh right. we got to take down the corporation. It's not like you got to fight the man. It's just like oh shit. There's like no hope. There's no no. I think that there. happens a
1: lot in any kind of like long-running, long running long long running franchise where like the you know the new entries feel like they need to hit on all those like all those cornerstones. Anything that we even briefly mentioned in the first one gets picked apart and added, expanded upon and everything, so that it's like you know is it even like people? I mean, look what happened when they kind of did break away from like, Aliens, and went in, like, a total 90-degree turn with Alien 3, which, hey, I love, I'm a, I'm a defender, but people hated that movie because it didn't, it wasn't just Aliens 2, right? Well, uh- yeah,
0: and, and the thing about uh, Alien 2 is that, you know, James Cameron is really good at taking a product that was, like, a niche, mm-hmm. but successful horror product, and turning it into something that's, like, more commercially viable. Right. Like, he's really good at the sequel game by like turning something, you know, Alien, the original Alien was 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 like a straight horror movie. It's not mm-hmm. a comedy. It's not an action film. It's a straight horror movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, but they sold like what they found is that kids really like the toys the, for the Alien, which is weird because this is R rated hyper. I mean, that was the eighties, uh,
1: man. They had toys for the Dune movie, like the, <laughs> David Lynch, the coloring book for you know.
0: Yeah, but what I'm saying is that like you know they 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 yeah, these yeah, yeah. toys were super successful, so they bring in James Cameron for the second, and he makes the film even though it's still a film like quote for adults. It's more teenage, you know. It has this sense of like the good guys versus the bad guys. There's not a lot of complexity right. to the plot. It, no. It's got Bill Paxton saying "Game over, man, game over," and it's super fun. Uh, oh, I love it. I
1: love yeah. I love Alien
0: both. Two is like one of the best action movies. It's not a yeah. very good horror movie, but it's a great action film. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, it ends with a robot fight. It's like Proto-Pacific Rim. It's fucking awesome. James Cameron was just like, how do I fit Rock'em Sock'em Robots into this movie? And then he did it. It was great. Although I think that was before Rock'em Sock'em Robots. With Alien 3, you know, David Fincher tried to take the series back to its horror roots, but it's difficult to walk that back. You know, once you go mass appeal, it's harder to go niche again. That's what a lot of horror games have problems with. You know, something like uh, Resident Evil was like pretty much uh, a niche-strict horror game when it started. Now you know people that have learned about it through Resident Evil 4 and 5 and 6 that are like I want to roundhouse kick zombies in the face you know it's hard to walk that back to less actiony roots and then all the the hardcore fans will decry about how it's there's been no good Resident Evil game since Resident Evil 3 but you know that's just kind of how yeah. fandoms go well
1: they i think in their case yeah they were going down that route and then they pushed it a little too far and the backlash against 6 was so strong that like when they they did walk it back to just kind of like a much more uh, I don't I don't want to say subtle. Resident Evil Seven is not subtle, but it is quieter and slower than like
0: yeah. It, the game quieter. starts off with your hand getting chainsawed off and they staple it back. Yeah, all. Yeah. Um,
1: no, not at all. But it's but it's definitely not you know uh, fighting zombies in tanks and stuff like yeah six, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, yeah, um,
0: yeah yeah.
1: And but people were welcoming it because they they kind of went too far in that direction, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I'm I'm a massive fan of the first three Alien movies. Resurrection is fun in its own way, but it's a mess.
0: Res, Resurrection is one of the stupidest movies you can ever see. If you want, it, but it it is. That's what I say is like. I, I actually think that each of the Alien films is a great representation of its own genre. So like mm-hmm. Alien One is a, a great strict horror movie. Alien Two is a, an amazing action film. Alien Three oh is gosh. actually like a really solid like siege movie where you have to like like it's kind mm-hmm. of like it's kind of like Home Alone but with an alien. Trying to, <laughs> yeah. That's what it is. And then Alien Four is is the is is a great schlock B movie, right? It, it's got lasers. It's got a guy with got guns for his arms. It's got a dude on the back of someone else, and he's shooting guns while the other guy is shooting his guns. It's it's so dumb. It's oh, crazy. it's fun.
1: It's fun. It's a bad movie, but it's fun.
0: Oh yeah, I, you know. <laughs> oh god, I can't talk about that. I just realized I I, I knew something that I, I can't. That's actually like I can't talk about that. Uh, anyways. Um, yeah, Alien, super fun, Alien Isolation, great game. But that actually, I love that you brought up the example of Alien Isolation because when Alien Isolation came out, there were basically two camps. There were the people that said, this is an amazing experience. And people going, I'm just opening doors for like 10 hours. Yeah, and like, And that's the thing, you're never going to make everyone happy. So if you go into oh. a horror game expecting that everyone's going to praise it, then uh, you're wrong, unless you're the Dreadx Collection Two, I guess, because we have 98 percent positive ratings. But
1: like, even so, <laughs> like, like-, well, like you're saying, that was because you're providing different a number of different experiences that, and people like some, and some people, you know, like my game for the for the third collection is mostly talking, like yeah, it's pretty much text. It's a visual novel mostly. I won't say you know, um, and some people aren't going to click with that. Some people will because you know. I like reading, I don't know. Visual novels are clearly pretty popular, and okay. I I feel like my writing is is fairly strong. So I don't know. I hope. Yeah, yeah uh, I think
0: people will click with with you know, Sarah um Silverland.
1: Yeah, but it's uh it, you know, it's definitely not. You're not running around shooting zombies, you know, with a shotgun. You're not, you know, um, being chased by a ghost or you know, like it's it's not what some people necessarily uh, think of when they think indie horror game or whatever, you know. So um,
0: n- now if you actually add a shotgun chase sequence, people are going to be super surprised. I mean, uh, you right? just laid the perfect groundwork to have a ch- mm-hmm. shotgun chase sequence. So now people don't know. They don't know what to see, do. See, it's because I, I
1: played the first collection, and Eredorf was just like, nothing scary happens in this game. And I was like, ah, see?
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, there's actually a couple of those with subversive yeah. expectations in this one. Actually, most.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. So I'm pretty excited. I'm pretty excited for people to be able to check it out. Um, we're running at... Uh, we're, we're, we're hitting the hour and 45 minute mark, so I think we should probably wrap this up. Star, did you have any... Uh, questions still
2: no i think that's good
0: all right yeah so um you know uh nate did you is there anything else you wanted to to talk about before we uh wrap it up
1: i mean i can plug other stuff
0: (laughs) yeah go ahead and plug your projects man do it all
1: right um so yeah i mean i got the i got side of winterland part of the third collection i'm really excited to be part of it um i had been kind of like sitting on the outside looking in for you know the first two collections going like man that's so cool (laughs) <laughs> oh, those guys oh that'd be such a cool group to be a part of and, and then ted messaged me and i was like oh my god!" What? so i'm really really excited to be part of it um but yeah um right before this uh not too long ago i put out cellular cellular harvest which is again like a uh photography game it was before i was working on it and then they announced pokemon snap the new one uh in the middle of it and i was like god damn but um it turned out to be an okay marketing angle <laughs> um so that's kind of a, if you want your PS1 Pokemon Snap with a little bit of a horror event, uh, that's on Steam and Itch. Um, and then, yeah, I'm working on Effigy, which was, we just dropped the uh, reveal trailer uh, kind of a month ago. Yeah, a few weeks ago. Uh, that is a, my big old first-person shooter uh, action, action fest. I don't know. Uh, <coughs> you know, we're talking about Alien 3. Like, there's a reason Effigy takes place on a prison moon. Uh, with a religious cult on it, <laughs> and it's pretty much because I love Alien Three.
0: <laughs> Alien um, Three is is gets too much hate.
1: Yep.
2: Yeah, I like it. Exactly.
1: Um, so yeah, there's there's definitely there's a lot of DNA in, in in Effigy, which is... yeah, but it's a it's a retro FPS that's that's kind of trying to trying to go for some of like the metroidvania or like even souls, like kind of world structure, interconnected levels, um, more, more of a focus on exploration, uh, than just blowing everything up. There's plenty of that too. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's coming along. It's, it's still a ways out, but it's, that's my big, that's my big project.
0: It's dark souls with guns.
1: Yeah. Dot com. No, actually. So, uh, Dave Osher gave me permission to buy a gag URL, and the one I went with was Troid Prime.
2: He gave me permission. That's cute.
1: Well, sort of, yeah. I, I bought it, and then I was like, hey, Dave, by the way, is this cool? I know it's kind of your thing. And he's like, yeah, fuck it. I don't want that.
0: Wait, are you, is it? Is New Blood publishing you guys?
1: No, no, no. No,
2: no uh, it's just the idea. Like, Dave invented that idea of buying, you know... <laughs> Stupid like, names. leaning
1: into the... Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, I'm um, going to take it, because he didn't invent the idea of URLs. No, so. no, he's like,
1: I don't own the idea of gag URLs, so... Um, but, I mean, you know... He that. For
2: game marketing, though. Yeah. That was a good idea. So, anyone who does it now, it's they're pulling a Dave Oshry, But, honestly, I'm sure he loves it, because he likes to be trend center. so... <laughs> so it's good. Good. Yeah, well, I
1: think for a long time, people were trying to, like... Not seem like they were just, you know... They they wanted to almost hide just how much the, like hide their inspirations just a little bit like they didn't want to just come out right out and say it because they they thought it maybe made them look like they were you know less creative or less innovative or something but like no like with with retro games like people are chasing those old experiences yeah uh, or yeah. twists or twists on those old experiences and so you can say
2: sorry Dave can talk copy off Doom then you can copy off Dave
1: yeah <laughs> so 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 in that case like just straight up you know hey I'm trying to make uh, what if Quake was a Metroidvania, more or less?
2: Okay.
0: Effigy, uh, when can they get it?
1: Oh, boy. Uh, it will. So it's going to be an episodic release. It's going to be sometime next year. It's a big game. I'm one person. But uh, if
0: they want to try it out now, where can they go? Uh,
1: there is a now actually pretty outdated, but okay, <laughs> pre-alpha demo uh, that was part of the Haunted PS1 demo disc. Uh, so if you go check out the demo disc, you can find it, or you can just go to redactgames.itch.io Or no, yep, redact. Games.h.io. See, I'm, a good, I'm good at marketing. You
0: got it. Uh,
1: and you can play a, a very early demo. That kind of gives you the idea, but it's come a long way.
0: Yeah, sounds good. I mean, I, I played it. I liked it. It's definitely, uh, I was impressed by the scope of it. I thought it would just be like a few hallways with enemies. And, you know, once you kind of go up that first path that then leads to the big facility, I was like, oh, this was way bigger than I thought it would be. Um, yeah. So definitely a really cool game that people should check out uh and definitely check out you know status wonderland as part of the dreadx collection 3 uh coming out mid-october um and you know nate thank you so much for being here today
1: yeah thanks for having me
0: yeah and uh you know uh, everyone at home you know just keep your eyes out on our twitter at dreadxp underscore dot com dot com is the website dreadxp underscore is the twitter handle at dreadxp underscore if you just you google the dreadxp you'll find it it's pretty easy to find uh and then just you know don't forget to subscribe to find out more information release date all that stuff wish list the game when it comes out do do, do the thing the fans do so that uh we can justify making more of these so uh and you know if you're just listening to this for the first time just and you're so compelled by my lovely soothing voice we have a billion other podcast episodes and by billion i mean like i don't know 50 something and um check out Dreadx collection one and two available now on steam uh, probably going to be having a sale on that pretty soon in anticipation for the release of the next one. So definitely check it out, add it to your wish list, buy it when it's on sale, uh, continue to support any developers. So uh, without any further ado, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, wrap it up there. Unless uh, Star, you have anything you want to say?
2: Uh, look forward to the showcase coming up on Halloween Day.
0: That's going to be so cool. I'm so looking forward to it. Uh, so yeah, showcase on Halloween Day. Dreadx Collection Three coming out a little bit before that, so we got a lot of really cool stuff for you coming up for you. And boy, oh boy, once the showcase is done, well, you have more stuff to be excited about in the future. I wish I could talk about it now, but uh, uh, my marketing person told me not to, and uh, she is literally on the call with us right now. So if I if I were to break that, <laughs> she'd be very cross with me.
2: I'm so, squinting uh, my eyes. You can't I know, see she's,
0: it. She's she's gonna chastise me for even mentioning possibly breaking it. So, uh, anyways, <laughs> I will, uh, guys we got a bunch more episodes coming up very soon. So, you know, stay tuned. we got a lot coming out. We're trying to actually knock them all out before DreadX Collection 3 comes out. So, you know, look forward to that. So uh, talk to you guys soon. And uh, Nate, thanks for joining us. And uh, to all you out there, bye.
1: Bye-bye. Bye
2: like fish eggs, interior like suicide, wrist rags, I could exercise you, this could be your visit, cheat on your man, homie, ah, I tried to sneak through the door, man,
0: can't make it, can't make it, the shit stuck, out of my way, son, door's
2: stuck, stuck, i you,
1: Yeah, I've already said it, Frank.